Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. And what a beautiful team performance it was at the weekend, boys. We have, a, 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 well, a strong squad, I think. There's five of us in here to talk about what was maybe, arguably, our greatest ever squad uh, this season. And in particular, that 11 that started and indeed those that finished the game on Saturday. A resounding 3-0 win against Liverpool. Our first ever win in the top flight at home against them and only our second home ever, home win ever. The other one being in 1961. I am joined to discuss this delightful topic and other matters besides by my usual regular co-host Peter Marsh, by Andy Bass, Andy Bravery and Alan Dodd. Welcome everybody to the podcast. Evening. Yeah, evening. Evening. Everyone seems in a good mood, and I wonder why that might be. <laughs> um, so this is our first kind of regular match report for a while, it feels like, um, sort of. But um, uh, we were at the game. We didn't do a match day special because I was too busy having fun, to be honest, and um, wanted to take a break from that routine for a little bit. And glad I was able to do that, just sit back, relax, and watch the game and, and marvel in our fantastic performance. Um, two goals from Solly March again. He can't stop scoring everybody. What's going on there? And of course, he got the assist for the other goal as well. So you've got to probably give him the man of the match. But we'll talk about that in a moment, maybe. But um, uh, who wants to go first on this uh, this day of all days, a day in which certain people I know have said it's the best game they've or the best performance they've seen from an Albion side in their 67 years of support Uh, Raymond said one of the best in his 65 years of support. Several other people have said in their 45 years of support. Um, it seems like it's once in a lifetime. Hopefully it's not the only one, actually. But who wants to go first? Should we go with... Um, well, let's start with you, Peter. Let's go with you first. What were your thoughts on the game? Yeah, it was OK, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> the, the, the irony I thought afterwards, actually, I thought our passing and our general play was a bit crisper in the first half at times. We just didn't mm. have that final ball. We gave the ball away at 2-0 quite a few times at the back and they yeah, then had a few chances in the end. But the first half, I, although we didn't score, was one of my favourite ever 45 minutes of watching Brighton. We were just so dominant. We didn't give them a sniff, despite what match today trying to make it look a bit more of an even match by showing more all the Liverpool possible highlights and nothing of our well, virtually none of our like chances or anything. But yeah, it was, I mean, we absolutely dominated them. I know they've got quite a few injuries, but they have, quite a few players in that team who were cost more than our entire team on the day. And Liverpool, are, yeah, we just absolutely dominated them from start to finish. They didn't get near us. And yeah, I mean, you say about March being man of the match, I don't think anyone would argue about that. But I also don't think anyone could argue about any of those players being man of the match. From Sanchez up to Ferguson and all the subs as well, they were every, every all 16 players who played, although to be fair, Lamptey and uh, Webster didn't have very long, but all, all 14 who played any minutes were brilliant. And Yeah, that was that was I think the best performance. Obviously, I'm, I'm not anywhere near as long-standing a supporter as some of the some of the uh, the ones you were mentioning earlier. I'm only at thirty odd, thirty two years or like that. But yeah, that was best performance I've seen in the time watching Albion. I think it's the best I've ever seen as well. And I would love it if the club released, as they used to do back in the day, DVDs of the whole match because I would buy that. It's so good. 
I've watched the 30-minute highlights package back, the East of the Sky one. And I know they did have it as their game of the day, but unfortunately, I didn't record that. Um, I forgot to do that bit. But I've got the 30-minute highlight package, which essentially is 23 minutes when you take the adverts out. And it did pretty much what the match of the day did on a larger scale. It actually showed a lot more of the Liverpool stuff, which, which I didn't. there was, seemed to be more than I remembered. I think what they do is they show anything where there's pressure going around the goal, when, when stuff's going on around the goal. But actually what was great about this game was a lot of the possession in midfield and those zippy zigzag passes we were doing in the second half that just seemed to be going just zigzagging all the way up the left-hand flank of the pitch a couple of times and various other similar types of moves besides, which I thought were really what showed off how much better we were. We were just completely comfortable with the ball. We were pretty much taking the piss as the song goes. Um, and it was an absolute delight to see. Now, Liverpool obviously didn't have a full-strength team out. We know that. Van Dijk was missing. Nunez was also missing um, for this particular game. And there were other players that were out who would have been in contention. Um, Diogo Jossa um, and obviously um, Diaz as well. And one or two others, no doubt. But, uh, you know... Nonetheless, they've still got a strong team. They've still got a strong squad and they are still a good team. And for us to have battered them quite so much to the point where 3-0 massively flatters them is saying quite something. I think it's the best game I've seen us uh, play, uh, certainly. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, please release a 90-minute version <laughs> of that, because I'm buying it if you do. <laughs> um Andy, let's go to Andy Bass next. So welcome back to the pod, Andy. Um, you were at the game as well with your latest Lucky Pub pre-match drinks. Um, <laughs> I guess you're going to be going back there for the next match, which yeah. might be against Liverpool, actually. Yeah, well, I won't be going Well, I won't be going to the Cup tie because I'm actually going to be in Marrakesh. Oh, OK, fair when enough. That's, when that's on, sadly. I was hoping that was going to be the Friday night game. but uh, So uh, Bournemouth, I think, is the uh, next one for me. But... Um, what an amazing, what an amazing game! Um, without, I, I think it's the best technical performance that I've that I've seen um, the Albion play in you know in my lifetime of, of, of being an Albion fan, which is like considerably shorter than everybody else. I think I'm only about I don't know it's, what since nineteen fifteen years, uh, so, uh, uh, 20, 22 years now. Oh, right. That's yeah. 2000, 2001 season ticket holder since then. But, um, but absolutely exceptional. The the quality of the play. And it, and again, they've just been building up and we're, we're getting better each game now. And the, the since, since the World Cup resumption, we have just been absolutely superb. I mean, we, yeah, we lost against Arsenal, but I thought, you know, Arsenal, you know, Arsenal were very good and, and they were the better side. So, Fair play, no complaints there. But in every other game, we have just we've just fizzed the ball about. The players are so confident with Deserby ball now, and all this initial fear about us playing it around at the back and stuff. You know, they, you know, they, there's a genuine reason why we do it, and that's why we're winning games and scoring goals now. We're we're creating more space, but we are just also just wowing everybody with just the speed of our movement it's just for us to do that to Liverpool I mean everybody would think we were playing like Liverpool's youth team or something the under 14s given how you know they're all moaning about how injuries and stuff like that it still had Mo Salah in it still had Canati there so Henderson Thiago you know Fabinho yeah these are hardly you know 
untried and tested players. You know, these are these are good quality players made to look like a pub team by a team that was simply much better than them in absolutely every department. Um, and the passing, I could I could sit and watch that all day. I could watch that all day. That's the football that I want to see, and we are, and we are now playing it. It's not. I'm not watching Man City do it. I'm not watching Liverpool do it when they, you know, when they were at the, the, their height. I'm not watching Barcelona or Madrid. I'm watching Brian and Albion play the football that I love watching, and it is just scintillating to see. It is just unbelievable. There were 650 glorious passes to enjoy there for every Albion fan on uh, on Saturday afternoon, and uh, and we only missed 11.8 percent of them. Um, you know. It is incredible. It's so difficult for opponents to play against when we're playing when we're playing to that level. The and we you know we require less space, less time to complete these passes, and we just it's just it's just like watching Brazil nineteen seventy. I don't know. It's just it's just brilliant. You know, it's, you know, seeing Man City like flounder against Man United at the weekend as they seem to have just basically focused on only. Harland scoring goals for them. We're scoring the goals that Man City used to score. Mm. Um, yeah, like, you really I are. Mean, any, anybody can score, score them. Ping the ball around. Someone is going to pop up and be on the end of it and tap it in from like six yards out. I mean, just unbelievable. What a, what a, what a game. I mean, I was looking forward to it all week and I was really optimistic because I genuinely thought we should win. Um, mm. I don't think Liverpool have been playing well. It's the... Even though bizarrely they've won four of their last five league matches, they've never been convincing in any, in any of those performances. Yeah, quite frankly, our midfield players are better than their midfield players at the moment. It's just a statement of fact, and I, and I just thought we could do it. They, you know, with Nunes out, I thought that was just an, a little another thing that was going in our favour. Hmm. But but I'm always really worried when I'm confident when I'm looking forward to a game so much. It nearly always ends in crushing disappointment. So, um, <laughs> Indeed, so to actually yeah. to actually have the expectation turn up and actually see it play out was just yeah. remarkable. I'm still I'm absolutely flying today. It's just brilliant. Because you knew it was going to be a good game. You knew there'd be goals almost yeah. certainly. The only the only unknown pretty much was. Uh, the outcome, of course, we couldn't be sure we're going to beat Liverpool. You never can be. But I felt equally as optimistic as you. And I know Peter was the same as well. Um, and again, we've got that, you've got that Albion psychology at the back of your mind, haven't you? In built in. Yeah, it's bound to go wrong. Everything looks right. It'll go wrong. Yeah. Um, and because of our home record at home, you know, we haven't had too many wins. And the next person I'm going to bring in is the other Andy, Andy Bravery. You've been complaining about this, haven't you? For all the great football. Yeah. <clears throat> has often been that um, for home-only fans, which unfortunately due to various reasons you're, you're committed to at the moment, you haven't actually got to see as many of the results that you would want, despite the football being decent uh, on the whole. Um, but you're at the game, weren't you, uh, on Saturday, and you've finally got your just desserts, I think, <laughs> because that, that was great, wasn't it? Yeah, so just, just to make the point clear, I've not been complaining necessarily about the home foot form. All I've been saying is that it's a very different experience if you go home and away to, to it as opposed to if you go at home. And up until this game, Deserby has only won once at home. Now, actually, I think now we've won four games at home. 
So he's got two, Potter's got two. We've only well, I think we've won five away or something I heard today. So there's not much in it. So just get, um, in terms of, um, to, yeah, so Attila, Attila also said that um, it was the best game he'd ever seen, Brighton play. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it probably was for me as well, but my memory's so bad. I wouldn't like to. Um, I wouldn't like to say too much on that. But I've been, so I've been watching Brighton for forty-eight years. Um, just to give you an idea of who was playing back then, the very first game I I watched Brighton play, Bobby Charlton was playing manager of Preston North End that day. So that's how long ago it was. And um, I, I think for a little while now, I've been watching the best, certainly technically, the best, the best Brighton football team I've ever seen. And I do think Deserby's taken it to a new level. And I do think that he, that possibly we are going to lose some of those games that Potter managed to get a draw in. But I also think we're probably going to win games where Potter got a draw because we've, I mean, and you can see how he probably gets on well with Bloom because he's a risk taker. You can see it in the games. You know, he's, he's playing through the middle, even in the last few minutes. We've got the centre-halves playing a ball into Casado or playing a ball into um, McAllister. They've got like two or three players on them. They can't do anything wrong. If they do a single, if, the, if that first touch is just slightly out um, or the, the back pass is slightly out, then like, we're in trouble. But that's how we draw them in and that's how we play past them. I mean, I was, I was sitting down the, the south end um, of the West End for the game you know, and obviously, you know, surrounded by the greatest fans in the world, ha ha ha, who were very, very quiet. And, you know, and they were constantly barracking in the second half to their players to get forward and close the centre half down with the ball. And the players were resisting it because they knew as soon as they come forward, we were going to play it around them. And we played it around them, you know, Matoma and McAllister and Casada just finding, and, and, and Gross just finding space. And it's not the easiest thing to do. And then when they, when they find the space, they move it forward. And then we find ourselves, which we didn't under Potter, we find ourselves then with the ball at our feet in and around the 18 yard box. And we're not surrounded by defenders. And that's the difference. And I think that's what's helped Solly, Solly March score a few goals. It's probably also helped he's hit the target, but it's actually helped him score a few more goals because I just think he's, He's just got a little bit of extra space. And I just thought he's, he's I mean, he's, he is renowned normally when he scores a goal. They, they are usually really good. And he's second one on on Saturday. I don't even know how he's really done that and got that pace on it. And I think he's I think he's only beaten the goalkeeper because he's done it so quickly. I don't think the goalkeeper expects it, you know. Yeah. I think I Ferguson's think... movement for someone so young is really intelligent. And Matoma's that sort of jinking player into the box that we, you know, even Trossard can't quite do that, that we've been, that we've been lacking, you know, and and I just thought it was a, a wonderful performance. And yeah, I mean, it's exciting football. And, you know, when anyone, maybe not anyone, but, but people can go off and study about emotional intelligence. But it looks to me like in terms of the relationship between Deserby and the fans, then then the man understands it. He understands it. I mean, I think Pete said it before and many others as well, that, that Deserby, you know, and I, I was a big fan of Potter. I still am a big fan of Potter's, but Deserby has sort of create, reached out and created a relationship with the fans already. Yes, it helps that we're winning games, but that's always the case. But you can see that he's talking to us on a different level to Potter. Hmm. Potter was always a little bit aloof. And, and, I mean, and I don't know if it's because he's second, it's a second language, but he's just so honest. It's, he's a little bit, he's got a little bit of the uh, Gus Poyets about him. He's just almost too honest. But, you know, as a fan, you love it. You want to see the passion, but also, you know, <laughs> he just does it as it is. I think the players, they, they know where they stand with him. So they either yeah. like 
embrace that or like Trossard at the moment, they get on a train and go back to Belgium for a few days. Well, I think you're spot on with all those points, Andy. And the space creation element is definitely a big factor. I think the other factor in Solly in particular scoring goals is confidence. We've always said he's a confidence player and, and De Zerbi did, um, Roberto, let's say Roberto, did, did isolate um, Solly for comment, didn't he, when he first came in? So I think he listed three, maybe four players who, who he said he was looking forward to playing with and <clears throat> certain things he thinks he could improve, I think he said, or something along those lines. And clearly he's, he's it's a little bit like Gus Poet with Adam Elabd, actually. Um, you mentioned Poet. It's kind of like that, isn't it? He sort of singled him out for praise. <clears throat> Picked him up, obviously identified that he was a sort of player that needed that sort of um, attention, both publicly and probably privately as well, and has, has made the best for Solly out of himself. And he's playing with confidence, it's clear to see. And that one missing ingredient, that final third element, um, once he's either beat a person or, or cut inside and he's about to have a shot, is now, uh, it's transformed. It's completely transformed. And people are talking about it in the, the national media as well. And in the national media, I mean, all of all of the quality press have been full of praise for us. Um, the I, formerly independent, um, actually allude to what you've said, Andy, there um, about our tactics and the way we're playing. We're effectively playing the Liverpool style. I mean, part of their article, they said, the 3-0 win was a perfect display and the perfect embodiment of Brighton's progress. They had never beaten Liverpool at home in the top flight. And they beat Jurgen Klopp's team at what used to be their own game, um, saying high pressing, quick overlaps, players entering the attacking penalty area from different angles and at different times. And finally, efficient finishing, which, of course, was the crucial difference with us from before. And it says uh, Roberto De Zerbi has got this team scoring like never before. And he's done it without the one to weigh Leandro Trossard, who we'll get on to talk about later. Any player who wants to leave this project in mid-season wants their head checking, says the article. And I think um, absolutely right. And Yeah, we'll talk about Leo a bit later. But we need to bring Alan in at this point, who's the only person we haven't let speak so far. Alan, uh, what did you make of the game? And any particular points you wanted to to add into the Well, I I was so, so happy with it. With Saturday and afterwards, it was just—it was an amazing day actually. From from before the match, actually, I was—I was pretty optimistic. Um, and uh, you know, we all met up beforehand in the Shakespeare, which was it was nice. And yeah, uh, yeah it was just a, a wonderful day. Uh, it was probably the best overall performance I think that yeah. I've seen any of him play. And I think Andy, Andrew, you uh, touched on the, the word technical performance. I mean, this is this is this is very important. It's an important word, I think, for me. Uh, is that it's so highly technical and the quality is so high at 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 a Premier League level yeah. you know and I think that's you know it's not and but what amazes me was that um you know I was optimistic before but the thing that I was kind of worried about was actually when we quite often in the past when we've gone into these games against the big sides uh you know uh you know we we were playing quite well but um we we in on the day when we beat those big sides we just about maybe one one nil or two nil that uh, you know, it's it's it was a it was a performance that was out of the blue. But I think what surprised me was Jurgen Klopp has seen how we've been playing for the last two or three, four games. He's seen that style of play. So what I was worried about, I was optimistic, but I was still worried, and I was going to be interested. How would Jurgen Klopp set up and handle the way we play? And let's test ourselves against that. And Jürgen Klopp just didn't have a clue, it seemed to me. 
Uh, he just didn't have a clue how he could handle us. Um, yeah. yeah, it seems like the mojo's gone a bit, doesn't it, for Liverpool? I mean, other teams have had this as well. The intensity is a big part of Liverpool's game, that high press. It, it relies on the intensity. And again, we're going to talk about this in relation to Trossard later with the way that the team are coaching and what he didn't seem to be having mm. any of. Um, but I think, I don't think it's deliberate, but Liverpool seem to have lost that that important extra 5% intensity which uh, and obviously the, some of the personnel loss hasn't helped as well up front. Mm. Um, and as soon as you take that away, it's almost as if uh, it, the, the facade's broken and you realise they're just an ordinary team almost. They're still a very mm. good team, but but they don't have that magic extra world-class element to them. And and he's a clever manager. He's a good manager, a very good manager, Jurgen Klopp, of course he is. But he seems to have lost his mojo a bit, uh, which is what you're saying there, Alan. I, I agree yeah. with you. I think, I think that seems to be the case. One one of the things I remember when uh, when Vardy Zeb was uh, originally appointed, they talked about the way his tactics were about this balancing about uh, sucking the uh, the opposition in of the defence by playing it back. So it's sort of very risky. But once it, once you kind of release the ball through the lines, then the tempo was really important. So you know, moving the ball very quickly, which is basically how he's he's got the players playing now. He's got him playing the way he wants them to play. And this, again, is creating this situation where we're, we're getting more space in the final third uh, for players uh, because we're just moving it so quickly. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think I made a comment during the time. I mean, I, I was really impressed with Caicedo in midfield. I mean, he was an unbelievable. I mean, for his age, yeah. it was just... Incredible, it was it? it was poetic, uh, the way he was running around. It was everywhere. And uh, even when he picked up, he picked up an injury, I think, on his either his shoulder or his collarbone or his arm. But he, <laughs> I think, for the last ten, ten or fifteen minutes, he was running with his arm kind of uh, up as though he had a kind of a collarbone problem. And, it, and he's still running and still tackling and still getting everywhere. It was just absolutely amazing. And I actually, I actually wrote something uh, during the match. I said, Leo, if if, if um, Klopp had a was a signatory for the FSG checkbook. I think he would have been writing a check and for, for over 100 million and running up to Tony Bloom at halftime and handing it to him and saying, take this, because that's what they needed. And, uh, and he was on display. It really was. And the sharpness of movement, when they received the ball, the, the speed with which they might turn to change angle to get where they want to be to release the next ball, it just seems to be so urgent, so quick. It's, it's yeah. brilliant. You can see how yeah. fired up they are right from the off till, till the end. And Andy Bravery, um, back to you, sir. Would you go along with that? Yeah, well, I totally agree with all of that. The other thing I just wanted to, to add, I, I actually thought the crowd were really good on Saturday. You know, they were they were up from it from the start and they were noisy and they were noisy even in the first half. You know, when after, you know, we we sort of put a bit of pressure on, we hadn't got a goal. Sometimes we go a bit quiet, don't we? Get a bit nervy. I just thought they carried on and then obviously the second half, the goals. And then, you know, kindly, most of them stayed around afterwards to cheer the um to cheer the players, particularly in the North Stand. So I, th- I think they're... Maybe that's because they're appreciating the fact that it's more attacking football and um, you know more goal goal end drama, so to speak. But um, yeah, I just thought the crowd deserved a bit of a, a bit of a round of applause as well. Yeah. So something else I observed was uh, was Klopp actually applauded Deserby uh, just before he shook his hand. So as 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 Klopp when the whistle went, Klopp obviously moved towards RDZ and was was clapping. Uh, before he shook his hand, which was uh, which was quite a good touch, really. 
And we're not talking um, about this as a cup tie where the underdogs play really well. This is, you know, it's a team v team Premier League match. So that he, can't happen often, can it? Surely. I, I, I mean, I was, I was watching Klopp, and uh, I mean, essentially, he was getting frustrated. He couldn't, he couldn't work out what to do. He was talking to his assistants behind. He was kind of pulling over Thiago to try and give them instructions. He was pulling over Henderson to give him instructions, and nothing changed. Yeah, he was trying different things, and nothing seemed to change. He couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't adjust it. So, uh, yeah, he was completely outthought yeah. and outplayed. And I think we have the domination of the possession, and we we've kept the ball here amongst ourselves and left left Peter on his own for the moment. But bring Peter back in as well. Hardly had a word in edgeways. <laughs> Not often that's said. To be honest, <laughs> makes a nice change for everyone. Um, so I was going to say that, that obviously there's a lot of talk about the different you know March's improved form and a lot of the kind of attacking threat comes from certain areas. I think the left flank is probably our biggest asset at the moment. Yes. Um, Estupinor and Matoma have built up a really strong partnership. And one of the things I felt under Poss that we lacked was pace. We didn't have that much pace and we didn't have that much players who are willing to go to be direct and run at players. And both of them are happy to do that. And they're both have real quality on the ball. I, I think already Estupinor is a better player than Kukurea, especially going forward. And he's, he's learning going defensively as well. I mean, the fact that we got him for a, about a quarter of the price is, is incredible. And Mitoma, I mean, he gets better by the game. Occasionally, there were times Saturday when his end product was a little bit better, but he, Alexander-Arnold could not deal with him all afternoon. He, he kind of had many more difficult afternoons. I know he's not lauded for his defence generally anyway, but he kind of had many more difficult afternoons in the Premier League than that. I mean, they destroyed him. Matip was forced to come out and take out Mitoma. Um, Alexander-Arnold was quite the through ball from Colwell for um, Mittimer, which had um, Alexander Arnold on the back foot. Yeah. I mean, that, that was one where the, the finish wasn't great, but what a ball through that was. Yeah, it was brilliant. And they were saying about lack of press on that, but then it was such a, I'm not sure anyone quite expected that ball, but it was both, both defenders that side were actually quite lucky not to be sent off because yeah. Alexander Arnold took out Mitoma in the first half and should have been booked and then was booked for a poor tackle on Ferguson. And actually, if you look in the build up to the first goal, Massive, having already been booked, takes out McAllister. And I think if it doesn't go on and get, you get, you know, he's a very good chance that he got booked if it hadn't gone on and carried on. But the referee probably doesn't bother because we scored from it. But he actually just took out McAllister. And it, to me, that's a bookable offence. The referee should have gone back and booked him again and sent him off. Mm. It was quite a late tackle. Yeah, good point. Um, Andy Bass. I just want to pick up on what Peter said about um, Mittermar and... Uh, opinion. I just think what a great double act they are. They are just completely in sync. And it's just like after you, you know, after me, after you, after it, it's just they are they are always there for each other. And there was one one move in, in, in the second half where yeah, I mean Estupinian came under a lot of pressure. I think I can't I can't remember which defender it was, but I but he still managed to hold hold on to the ball and then who was there? Mittermar's there. Yeah. Uh, he's, just, he's just there and he just hairs off into the box with the ball. Yeah. Just beautiful link-up play between both of them and it is just a nightmare to defend. M- Mittermar was double-teamed pretty much the whole game. They had to send like two players over to defend him. Um, yeah, sometimes his end product isn't, isn't there but quite frankly it's a numbers game with him. I mean, you just you just run past people long enough; they're going to get tired, in, tired enough to let you through, and you will make a contribute. You will make an impact. Um, 
and he's just thrilling to watch. I mean, everybody loves a, a you know a fast-paced winger. They one of the most exciting, you know, exciting footballers you can watch, and he's absolutely superb. But with you know, it's it's an un, you would think on paper an unlikely sort of pairing. You know the you know the length, the sort of tall, rangy Ecuadorian, and sort of unassuming, mild-mannered um, Japanese player, but but they it's like they've been playing together for for years. I mean, they're yeah. just absolutely superb. And then once they finish pinging it about, then somebody else will pop up for, for them for the inside ball. Um, oh. That'd be like I say, no McAllister yeah. or you know somebody mm. else, but Ferguson, yeah. I mean, we are a joke. I mean, we are so good. It's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, if I was a fan of another team, I would just, it, we would be doing, you know, I'd be doing my nuts saying, why can't we do, well, how are Brighton doing it? I mean, to be honest, we, I've got a pretty good idea why we're doing it, but um, you know, and that is something that you know, Chelsea won't be able to buy off us, unfortunately, for them. But it, it is just insane how good we are, and we we just really have to enjoy it right now. And I think I, I don't think we should be afraid of saying how good we are at the moment, because you know, come a time where we, we won't be as good as this. So, sort it. We are this good now, and I am milking it because it was mm. just absolutely. Sensational! You just cannot wait for the next game. I wish the next game was like on Sunday, so we could go and watch it again. You know, yeah. I mean, can we play anybody any day of the week? I'd go and watch it. Well, there is a question here. I mean, you mentioned the Arsenal game; it's the only time we've lost, and of course, we had our midfield decimated. Casado was was fifth booking, doesn't he? So he was out, and uh, McAllister wasn't back yet. So we had our midfield that was decimated, and you had uh, Gilmore and Grosh playing together, who barely played at all together. So the fact we still only lost 4-2 with a very marginal offside, but would have made it 4-3. Is there an argument to say, at this exact moment in time, the Premier League being arguably the best league in the world, City having been declared by many to be the best team in the world, they're not quite on form at the moment. Arsenal are, are clearly the real deal. Are we in the last few games, say from the Southampton match onwards, there's not an argument maybe to say we're, we're the best team in the world at the moment, along with Arsenal. That might be over-egging the pudding a little yeah. bit. <laughs> I had to yeah. say it, though. We're not going to have a chance to say that. In a no, way, but, yeah, no. yeah we're, in the, we're in the conversation, at <laughs> least for a few games, which is utter insanity. Conte mentioned games... in his post-match interview yesterday about, about talking about teams for Europe and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Why not? We, we we can genuinely, at least for now, talk about the possibility of qualifying for Europe. And as you've said on WhatsApp, Peter, on a couple of groups, um, for the first time ever, you're genuinely thinking that we might be able to qualify. If we keep doing what we're doing... Yeah, I we think, could well yeah. go and lose 2-0 Leicester at the weekend after they're on their dreadful yeah. run and they'll all be kind of like, go, go <laughs> from, from there. But yeah, I mean, it's the first time I've really considered Europe a genuine possibility, both in the league and the FA Cup. I mean... If we were to beat Liverpool or Wolves, one of City and Arsenal going out in the next round, you know, I mean, genuinely, the only team historically I really fear is City. And then they're on pretty poor form at the moment. On a one-off game, I think we've got a chance against anyone, really. Yeah, I mean, we are, by a fraction, still in the first half of the season, we should mention as well, which is unusual for this time of year. But um, and there's a long way to go and there's a lot of possible component parts this season, which we don't even know about yet. But which... even more so, we've played Liverpool twice and we've not played Bournemouth and Palace. 
were both bottom half, although neither of whom we have a great record against. But, no. <laughs> but this, this is deserved Brighton. We beat teams who have a, who have a bogey. It's only yeah. Villa that we can't do that to. Well, you mentioned Palace. They must be absolutely cacking it at the moment. The notion of what we are potentially capable of doing against any team, they're not in a great run of form at the moment. They've just lost to one of the poorest teams in the Premier League. Uh, what they called them, Chelsea or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't mm. buy a win. They had, what, one win in nine before that match, mm. I think it was. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was uh, ideally that would have been a draw for us, wouldn't it? Both teams dropped points. But um Realistically speaking, it's it's great. You know, we're eight eight ahead of Palace now. Um, they're they're struggling a lot. That could be a great occasion coming up fairly soon as well. Bournemouth, we owe as you said, we haven't got a good record against them. We owe them a few, don't we? So, wouldn't it be great to whack both those teams really really hard while we're in this vein of form? But we we've got obviously we're not going to get too carried away. We we do we do all know. Anybody listening to this thinks we're going completely mad here. In particular, me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, don't worry, we're not losing our heads here. We do, we do understand how this can all change in, in in no time at all. But we are having a sustained period of great results. Three one away at Southampton, four two at home to Arsenal. We still scored two goals against the, the best team in the division um, with our midfield missing, and then we've got four one at Everton, five one against Middlesbrough, which could have been a sticky game because it's the cup and some changes, and then a, a sweeping win against Liverpool 3-0 we're just scoring for fun now it's one extreme to the other isn't it we couldn't buy a goal pretty much for a while and then now it's the exact opposite and then I, I just yeah I still can't quite believe how good we are as, as you guys have been saying um it's purely sensational <laughs> can't believe it um in terms of the team but uh, sorry yeah Peter let's go to that next so Peter yeah I was just going to say we're picking up on something that Andy Bravery mentioned earlier about the Zerbi imposter. I think, as people will know, I was never Potter's biggest fan. And I think when he came on, when he, he he'd he'd sorted out certain areas. Although obviously it was only six games into this season, you, so you couldn't tell what's going to happen. He'd sorted out certain areas before he, you know, before he left. That we you know, we were scoring more and that sort of thing. But we weren't. To me, we weren't playing the football. His football was still a bit too slow at times. We break the line and then not kind of take advantage of it. Whereas Deserbi is just take us on to this new level that where we do attack with pace. And initially, if, if Potter had had Batoma, you know, longer term and that sort of thing, he might have, you know, he might have, he might, he might have changed his tactics a little bit. But, I mean, De Zerbi is, I mean, like, yeah, he's only been here like 15 games like that and I already love him. He's just so, he's just so passionate on the slight touchline. He's so unlike the recent managers we've had. You know, he's, he's involved. He's almost kicking every ball and he, yeah, I, he's playing the most exciting football you can possibly imagine. Yeah, winning games, not just winning games, but stuffing teams in a way we don't, we're not used to it. We haven't won many games by three goals in Premier League. We're winning like regularly winning now by three yeah. goals and scoring three, four, five even. It's just, yeah, so thrilling to watch. And he's yeah, ballsy as well, isn't he? It's, it's ballsy. That's the thing. I think Graham yeah. Potter is great manager, but tactically very good. Lots and lots of good things to say about him. Uh, just overall, but with Deserby, he just goes that extra step because he's ballsy at the back and he, he's willing to make those risks and to play a little bit more of a let's win or lose, uh, a die trying stand or fall, basically, isn't it? Um, I think that, that opens the space, as Andy Bravery said earlier, and that, and that makes it more easy to, to be an attacking side that finds space, obviously. But I think there is just more incentive, there's just more impetus 
in the game anyway, I think, from us. And just I'll go back to you, Andy Bravery, in just a second. But just to quickly, before I forget, for posterity, this team that started was Sanchez in goal, Grosh at the right, Stupinian at uh, the left side, Duncan Colwell in a back four with two midfielders at Caicedo and Mack. Uh, March ahead on the right, Mittermer ahead on the left, Lalana central and Ferguson up top. That was the history-making, as far as I'm concerned, starting eleven. And we had Webster, Sarmiento, Veltman, Lamptey and Welbeck all came on. Welbeck, of course, getting his first league goal of the season, bizarrely, and only his second goal of the season overall. But um, we'll maybe talk a bit more about some of those things later. But Andy Bravery, yes, to you, so sir. The way, yeah, so the way I'd contrast the two and the way they were playing was with Potter, we would win games and often we would control those games and we'd win them comfortably. With De Zerbi, the way he's playing it, we're absolutely destroying teams. That's the difference. We're destroying them. They they can't live with us. Yeah. And we find ourselves two or three goals up, and then they can't score either. Or they get they get what feels like, and even they look, their body language suggests they know it's a consolation goal. That's That, for me, has been the difference. And I'm hoping in the uh, second half of the season that that pays dividends at home because, um, you know, if we can draw teams on it will onto us, then it will give us more opportunities to score. But I think that's the difference for me. The difference between controlling the game and 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 winning it, you know, and then and then with um, Roberto absolutely destroying teams. Yeah, you know. yeah. I've been listening to a lot of national level podcasts and. They've been full of praise for us for a while for various things we've been doing on and off the pitch when Graham Potter was here. Um, and they have said a bit more since Roberto De Zerbi's taken over. But what they're now saying in the last three weeks or so is that they're really waxing lyrical now. The, the proper press, none of the, the Tim Pot pundits, and there's plenty of them I'm going to rant about later. Uh, but, they, but the proper pundit um, set are, are really talking us up now. They're saying... Things like if there's one team you, you could pick to watch at the moment, it would be Brighton. And that's a hell of a statement to say when you're talking about Premier League. Um, incredible. You know, Man City are an amazing team. Arsenal at the moment are an amazing team. And yet there's people inclined to say that they might choose us over them to watch. My God, we're doing well, aren't we? Mm. <laughs> well, we are fun to watch. Yeah, that's the thing. fun to watch. It's, it's you know, it's... it's um, it's relentless attacking, but it's not harem scarem football. It's not lump it up front, chase it, everybody just like runs around. It's it's that intensity, but it's with the quality of the passing. When you're just watching the interpassing, the movement, the look, the triangles that they create all over the pitch, and then you get the occasional sort of nice sort of 20, 30 yard pass as well that just goes straight to the feet of the recipient. It's just they're just they're just doing everything right. They're just doing everything right. And it is it is beautiful to watch. You've got like, you know, I mean Spurs who are, you know, fifth, are just you know, they unless you, you know, not even Spurs fans really want to watch them at the moment. Because yes. they're so dull. All the ones I've spoken um, to said exactly um, that. You know, so I think it's effective. They've got enough points to be fifth, which I, every time I've seen them play, is just I'm amazed that they've managed to accrue that yeah. number of points. But you know, we should be ahead of them. Yeah, um, we can we should, yeah, we get a football team ahead of them. I mean, someone that dull and boring. There's no place being in the top five. Well, they might not be in the top five for long, really. Regardless, well, I, hope, I certainly hope so. But it's just yeah. that's. That's what we're. That's what we're in this moment. That that's what we're doing. 
we're playing exciting football, but it's also good football. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, if, for, for a neutral, it, it, it's fun to watch. I mean, yeah, I would, you know, I would watch, I would watch us if I was a neutral. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and Peter, um, do you think you would if you're a neutral? I was going to say that the, the exciting bit is how many young players in that, that team mm-hmm. as well. Sanchez is still very young. Um, obviously, Lamptey's been involved at times. Colwell, although obviously he probably won't sign permanently. Stupin, I'm still only 24, 25. Uh, obviously, McAllister. Sarmiento's come in and done really well recently when he's come on. Ferguson. And Kiso is not too far off. And Kiso is not too far, not too far off. Um, Mitoma's not that old. You know, there's, so, there's, there's a real... If we could keep this squad, ignoring Trossard, the rest of them together, and add one or two players for next season, somehow not sell any of them. You, you really wonder what the limit would be for that. Now, I'm not sure that will happen. I think there will be one or two will go in somewhere. But, yeah, certainly if you can keep the bulk of this squad, it's a very exciting team put, we put together. And, yeah, I, yeah, I can't quite believe it. I'm watching the, the team I supported who were, like, playing at Gillingham and stuff like that quite a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, if, if we could... You know, the sky's the limit. If we could keep them together, certainly for this season, add one or two, maybe if that enhances us, and get the, the absolute best we possibly can out of this season in terms of results and position in the table, I, I think we could qualify for Europe. Maybe that would help us hold on to the majority. Yes, one or two probably would go, unfortunately, but regardless. But if we could get into Europe, I'm, I mean, I think it's probably a step too far to say the Champions League. But if we did, then I reckon we'd keep the whole squad. I think the all... best team in the world would be expected to be like winning the league. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we could be on a journey here. And I know that's a cliche comment a lot of people cringe at, but... It, that would then become a journey that people want to take a little bit further together, wouldn't they? If you can make history that a little bit more, the bit that we would took objection to with Graham Potter, how much further he might have taken us um, and the, the mark he could have made in our history, which is kind of gone now. But now Deserby has the opportunity to do that. And I don't think we'll qualify for the Champions League, but I, I think we could, we, we, can, we can finish in the top seven. You know, the, the, the Saturday stats, by the way, the difference is, I'm a friend of the show, Raymond the Gent, has said, if you want to give the want to beat Albion, give them the ball. Is his famous quote he keeps mentioning, and to a large extent that was true for a while, particularly under Graham Potter. But under Deserby, gradually we've we've eradicated that element. We had 61% against Liverpool, 16 shots to their six, nine on target to their two, seven to their one in corners, and nine. Uh, fouls we committed they committed 15 so every one of those stats tells you that we were as dominant as the scoreline would suggest as well and it's becoming commonplace you look at the other games the Everton match the uh, the Middlesbrough game and um, obviously the Southampton match before um, uh, before the new year turned um, we've been dominant in those games I don't know what the stats are I can't be bothered to look them up now but um, we, we are starting to do it consistently and if we can keep that consistency going over this next whatever it is, four months or so. Uh, wow, who knows? The sky really is the limit. But I, I, my ambition for this season now, realistic ambition, is highest finish that we can get, and preferably European uh, football as well, uh, and or uh, a nice long cup run as well, which um, we could even win a cup. Who knows? That would be, be incredible. And any of that would be superb. But it, it has been brilliant. Alan, bringing you back in, I, one comment you I know you wanted to make from your uh, pre-pod notes was about observations on the Deserby versus Potter comparisons. 
and how Deserby's performance might in some way have affected Graham Potter's standing. Do you want to elaborate on, on that as well? I think yeah, I, I, I think the first, the first thing I was thinking about, I was kind of reflecting on, on the very first pop, um, press conference when Deserby was taken on. And I, all I've got, I have a picture in my mind of Tony Bloom and Paul Barber and David Weir smiling like Cheshire cats <laughs> uh, the whole way through. And now I understand why. Yeah. Because uh, they 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 realised actually they they had a, there was a, they actually it was a coup basically they, they managed to get someone quite special and I would I would even argue and say that I would at this stage the way he's going again maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves I would say that he's probably the most likely candidate to replace Pep Guardiola at City in yeah. two or three years time. I when, think their bodies. Guardiola leaves. Like, yeah. So bad. yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I was really thinking about, I mean, I, I, you know, we, we've, we've we've discussed quite a bit before, uh, maybe not on the pod, but set outside, but about Potter's uh, um, struggles at Chelsea. But I'm just wondering whether, you know, at the end of the day, what I'm what I'm tending to see in the media now is that uh, you're starting to get starting to get a, get a narrative where, if you like, Potter's being judged by the fact that what Roberto seems to be getting more out of out of our players than he used to. So mm. it's kind of coming at him from a, from a number of different angles now. So not only is he not getting the, the, the players at Chelsea to perform, but people are actually questioning and say, well, actually, you know, someone else has managed to get something better out of the players that he left yes. behind. Um, I don't know what anybody thinks about that, but uh, I, I tend to see this is, is something that's coming, started to come into the discussions with the, with the Potter bashing that's going on. By, by about, the media. I was about to say, I'm going to guess Andy Bass will be first one to this because <laughs> he must be delighting in the extra element of um, misery that Graham Potter's had inflicted on him in this matter. Yeah, yeah. We get, well, actually, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stick up for Potter a little bit. Oh, simply <laughs> um, because I first of all, Deserby is doing a brilliant job. What he's done with the you know, is coming is exceptional and it is uh, and the football and you know the football is better than it was with Graham Potter however that said I think there's an awful lot of revisionism going on now trying to make it sound like Potter was a really bad manager for us Robert Deserby should be very grateful for what Graham Potter left him to work with um I think if you know if he'd have come in after Chris Hewton I think it, it would have been his experience might have been slightly different. Um, I, you know, I am, I, 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 you know, I'm sort of delighting Potter's misery at Chelsea, simply because it, the whole thing was completely predictable. It was such a bad fit. The only real benefit for him is that he gets loads of cash, but his football experience is, good, is just going to be dreadful at Chelsea for a number of reasons. The boardroom isn't as good as it is at at the Albion, they and you know they don't understand him. They think they do, but they clearly don't. Um, and that fan base has just got the, the you know the patience of a spoiled child in a supermarket aisle that hasn't got <laughs> enough sugar in them. It's just um, it was just a, a recipe for failure. And also, he's inherited a dressing room of, of just rich people that don't really care about 
what that what they do for a living i mean that's just fundamentally it everything he everything that suits potter was at brighton and he was doing such a good job here he was going to be in a position where he could pick his next job should he so choose uh but he simply just took the first decent offer that he got forget it i mean you know it was a mistake he shouldn't have done it and um and the way he got that club absolutely awful but that still shouldn't take away from what Potter did when he was managing us, because I know we are now saying this is the best ever Albion. Well, you know, a few months ago, that was the best ever Albion yeah. and that was his Albion. And, and he's part of this construction. The, best Albion. Part the, of fact, the fact that the fact that it's better now doesn't diminish for me what, what he did. It is better now. And deserve is fantastic. I think Peter's right. I think there's a. I think there's much more of a rapport within b- between the fan base and and Deserby than there was with Potter because I think as much as I liked Potter, some you know Peter was quite a good example of of a lot of my friends who also questioned Potter in a way that that I didn't. So I, whereas with Deserby, I don't think there's there's any dissenting voices, not any dissenting voices you would take seriously. Um, but and you know, and so yeah, I I don't know. Do I feel a little bit sorry for Graham Potter? And on and on a human level, I do because I just don't really like seeing people suffering. But like on a professional, you know, on the he's made his own bed and he's got a lie in it and. You know this. You know everything that he's going through now is kind of his own fault because he chose it. So, you know, get on with it, Graham, and stop whining. <laughs> see, we'll see you in a few months. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I agree with you. As I said, he's probably. I'm sure he's a perfectly nice bloke. So, on a personal level, you know, you wish him the best beyond the Chelsea job. Um, but professionally speaking, in regard to the Chelsea job, I can't. Um, and so I've delighted in it, I have to say. But um, we'll go to Peter and then I think Alan as well wanted to come in as well. So, Pete, you first. Yeah, Tom Potter, before I do a little bit of a Chelsea rant, because I think it's probably the right time to do it now. Um, <laughs> Potter, is, in my view, if you come to a club and you try and lecture fans who basically kept the club alive about history, you're not going to... And I know this This got brought up. And, and I mean, his, I think that's where a lot of the fans lost him when he complained about like 20 fans booing out of frustration a result that, you know, we, we literally are at that point where he couldn't really score and, you know, we had so many chances. Mm. I didn't boo and mo- pretty much 99.999% of the fans didn't boo and yet he to- chose to make this new media narrative that for them about fans booing that carried on until the end where people were saying, oh, Brighton didn't deserve him, they booed him and stuff. And he he brought the the you know the, the feeling of fans amongst themselves. Deserve is just so much, such a better character for me. He's such a, you know, kind of, yeah, he's just he just connects with the fans straight away, and he wants to do that, and that's that's mm. what great. While I'm while we're on Potter, I might just yeah, Chelsea's hilarious attempt to try and circumnavigate financial fair play by giving twenty five thousand year contracts to every single signing they make this week is, <laughs> is frankly ludicrous. I mean, they're basically trying to like cheat the rules, and at some point that's going to catch them up. I mean, I don't think it'll end up being they're not going to get massively you know punished or anything like that other than massive fines, but. Because they're Chelsea, they can afford to pay expensive lawyers. But the idea that you can pay eighty odd million, ninety million for a player who was 
never played outside Ukraine and apparently got injury record just because Arsenal want him. Give him an eight-year contract and then use that as a kind of way of like reducing the, the cost per year is ludicrous. And they're doing it for like three or four of their new signings. And yeah, it, poaching again as well as they did with reflective of Chelsea as a club, to be honest. And yeah, mm. the way they've been under Bowley and and they're, they're just kind of, I've, I've got friends who support Chelsea and they're a bit perplexed by the, the approach as well. It just seems to be, it doesn't seem to be we need a player in his position, so let's go for that. It seems to be, oh, this expensive player is available. Let's just work, you know, bring him in and work out. It's completely unsuited to Potter. And yeah. when Stanley as well, I find it bizarre that he's gone in there. To, and what's the point of having him? If you're just going to, you might as well just get Bowley to look at the paper and see the most expensive player available now and buy them. I mean, it's, it's literally pointless having a scouting system if you're just going to go and look at other team players, other teams' target, and just yeah. take them for 70 million and pay over the odds for them, and it completely ruins the market as well, the transfer market. And yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a disgraceful way of behaving, and I really hope it kind of they find that they 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 suffer in the end from it. They've been at the forefront of ruining the market, haven't they, from the off? I mean, yeah. Abramovich, Mark, day one was that, wasn't it? Really, it really escalated the market. And, it's part of what's wrong with football now is that it's got to the stage where the money is just off the scale. Um, but yeah, I completely agree with you on all of that. The, this whole amortisation thing to to try and get around the FFP is uh, it's a sticky wicket, definitely for sure. And they they can't be doing that too often because ultimately, if you keep buying loads of players, yeah, front loaded onto that situation, eventually you're going to be talking about just massive commitments on the same scale <laughs> over a longer period. That's why they bother. I mean, financial fair plays a joke anyway, so no yeah. one gets punished for it. So why bother even, to be honest? Yeah, true. Um, Alan, I know you wanted to come back. Are you, do you still want to come in on that that point? <clears throat> yeah, I, I really want to just pick up. I mean, firstly, I, I, I was uh, a Graham Potter fanboy, <laughs> you know, and also, I mean, I remember some of us standing uh, in the pub after the Leicester game and, you know, we were so happy and we were oh, yeah. really, you know, <laughs> waxing lyrical about Potter yeah. and everything. But, uh, you know, it, it's funny enough, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure it's not, it hasn't quite worked this way, but if you if you look at the development of the way that Tony Bloom has built the club in the stages, if you go back to Chris Hewton, how he's built the background infrastructure, he's then brought in Graham Potter, who's kind of changed the style of play and developed these young players. And then you've brought Deserby, who's now taken what Potter's, the good work that Potter's done and taken it to another level. You know, you could write a book about that. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, 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 some kind of manual of how to work. So, so then you think about, well, what, what has Potter gone to at Chelsea? He's gone to a club where the infrastructure's not there. He's 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 actually he's come at the wrong he's come at the wrong time for him, or a different time than he had when he went to to Brighton originally in terms of the setup, the background. Um, and the other thing as well, I was, I was thinking about this that. If you think about it, Potter's got a style of play he wants to play. And when he was at Brighton, he, he, he had young players who wanted to listen to him and wanted to un- learn how to, you know, how to shape your body, where you needed to face, to pass the ball, uh, you know, and also maybe to coach them in a different way to play. So, and they were very uh, um, amenable to that. They, were, they, they wanted to learn and they, they could change. How is he actually doing that with people like Thiago Silva? And some of the more senior players and these top players, I'm just wondering whether it's actually he's finding it hard to kind of get his style of play for these top players to do because they have to make adjustments to the way they play and then maybe they don't want to listen. I think this is probably it. And this leads into the Trossard thing. The Trossard has uh, effectively uh, 
lost the uh, favour of the manager, let's put it that way. Um, we don't know the exact details, but there's been stuff on Twitter suggesting that he um, effectively had a mood on ever since the World Cup. Um, probably, unless he did have a mood at the World Cup, he probably should have been playing above uh, Hazard. So he's got a reason to be disgruntled about that, but that's nothing to do with us. Came back to England, uh, wasn't training properly, wasn't doing everything that Deserby wanted, unlike the rest of these players at the Albion who are still willing to learn, as they did under Potter and the new boys as well. Um, so effectively, he stood still or dropped off a bit and everyone else has raised their game and have, have stepped onto new heights with new thinking and new uh, innovations in the game, which, which Roberto is bringing in. And he's just fallen by the wayside. That attitude has been recognised. It's been called out on. It seems that he's 100% to blame for this, um, Trossard. And essentially, you've got that sort of attitude at Chelsea. So what the, the problem is, as you're saying, Aaron Allen, Graham Potter's gone into Chelsea and he's effectively got about 15 Leandro Trossard's there, um, more established than Trossard is in, in, in the team. A load of them probably, you know, you can list a load of players there like, you know, I don't know who's got an attitude and who hasn't, but as you said, you've got, you've got Thiago Silva, you've got, um, uh, you've got Mount, you've got Havertz, you've got Conte, you've got a whole load of players who are very long established there and a couple of those have been injured and whatnot. But, you know, you could list the whole load of them and... Uh, I don't know who's got what attitude in Chelsea, but it, it clearly isn't. They're not taking to what he's saying, either no. because he's not able to get it across as well, or because they're not willing to listen in enough. But number. He, I mean, it baffles me that uh, you watch Chelsea now, and yeah. I just can't see anything of Potter's style of play with what they're doing. Hmm. It, 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 the it, it's it's weird, and, and if you and if you look if you look at uh, if you if you look at his the three of them that kind of came to Brighton and then went to Chelsea. Plus, uh, Bruno and uh, Ben Roberts. But if you look at uh, the people that came from Ostersund originally, which was uh, Bjorn, uh, Billy Reid, and Graham Potter, mm. they all had different roles in this success story in terms of the coaching side and the tactics. You had obviously Graham Potter at the, at the, at the top of it, but then you had Armstead, who was apparently a very ta- a tactician mainly on on on, on offence. A, a lot of work there, and Billy Reid was kind of the, apparently was. Uh, a kind of a link person between the players and, and Graham Potter. That's the way I understood it worked. But you just don't, I just can't see how they're getting their ideas across to these players from what you see on the pitch. It's, it's, it's peculiar. Yeah. So I'm not sure, you know, uh, I've got a feeling really Potter's coming at the wrong time into Chelsea, mm. whether they would ever change. But basically, I think he's coming at the wrong time because I'm not, I'm, I don't think. They will ever have the time to, yeah, to change. And I think they've, they've he's probably gone to the club which just about has the most entitled, most delusional. Well, not delusional, so maybe not the right word because they have had success, but mm. the most entitled and the most impatient set of fans he could possibly have. Uh, that is a competition as well. And that's yeah, it's a hell of a competition. Mm. There are a lot of entitled slash delusional fan yeah. bases. Oh yeah, 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 but but they're in the, they're in a league of their own, aren't they? When it comes to that, from what I've yeah. seen, uh, the, the observations I've made of social media and comments on message boards and this, that, and the other, which is not extensive, but what I have seen and also what I've heard from other people is that um, you know the toxicity and the rapidity for that toxicity to come into to play have, have been off the scale, and they are used to winning things, and they're used to having savvy. Swaggersome managers, as one of the journos said, 
managers that bare their teeth to the media. And that's exactly what Potter isn't. Potter's a guarded, very reserved, doesn't really say much. But, you know, Deserby says a lot more. Uh, Persona-wise, he'd fit Chelsea more. Let's hope he doesn't go there. But, um, you know, he's more of that kind of, he'll, he'll say stuff to the media. He'll be quotable. There'll be things that, of interest in there without seemingly giving away anything to the detriment of the team on match day. Potter's that guarded character. He's reserved and he's not going to be, uh, he's, they're just not going to take to him. They're not going to warm to him. As you said, Peter, you didn't particularly warm to him. And we had loads of good stuff going on, um, uh, you know, in terms of on the pitch to, to, to balance that off. Here, he's struggling. He doesn't have anything good on the pitch to balance it off against. And he's a boring personality as far yeah. as concerns. But, uh, but I think, I think, uh, I think what is, it, is it Napoleon who said that I'm looking for a lucky general? Lucky, yeah. A lucky general is the most important thing. So yeah. basically, I, I don't think, in a way, Potter maybe isn't lucky, <laughs> and that's maybe that maybe you could you could actually apply that maybe to the Albion when he was at the Albion actually that maybe you know some of those silly goals or silly draws and defeats we have or missing missing attempts that's that's he's not lucky there. But also now, um, you know, uh, this new chap from Portugal we've got uh, they got uh, what was his name? Uh, well, Felix, yeah, yeah, <laughs> to get sent off for a free <laughs> match band match boundaries if you take him. That is. That is such bad luck. I mean, just when he's Potter's at such a low, and then for that to happen, I mean, that's just bad luck. That's the way it goes, isn't it? Were you yeah. all laughing, everybody? I think you were. <laughs> <wasn't it? laughs> yeah, it was. It was funny, and, and he was their best player as well because he yeah. had, he hadn't clearly been there long enough to get you know yes, entitled yeah. and lazy yet, and he was actually mistakenly playing the game, but. Yeah, it yeah. was hilarious. I, I wonder if the, the lucky general thing as well applies to who's in the changing room when you walk in and, into that new job. If you've got one or two major leaders in that dressing room who maybe, you know, lost their mojo or whatever else, but Potter comes in and on those one or two senior players think, do you know what, fresh start here, let's let's embrace this. And then they they champion his cause. Then maybe you get the, the other players to buy into it a bit more. And I'm not sure that that's happened there mm. either. But P- Peter... Yeah. On a slightly side note of entitled fans, um, <laughs> I'm getting a little bit fed up also of, you know, kind of seeing with the comments about Potter, Arsenal fans saying you need to stick by him like Arteta and how much tough, how many <laughs> tough times they've been through. And it's like, you really <laughs> don't have any idea about tough times, do you? Oh, we've yeah. come fifth and sixth a few seasons. It's, <laughs> woe is us, you know, it's like, talk about entitled. Yeah, we, we had some brilliant success and then like we've had 15 years we've not won the league or Something like that. It's like, well, you know, the smallest violin in the whole world is playing a song for you, isn't it? It's like, must be tough. Yeah, pretty sure a lot of people were calling Arteta into question for quite a while before he um, he had his effect taken at Arsenal, yeah. which I thought he would do if they gave him time. But ironically, um, after he ditched Aubameyang, who's actually at Chelsea now, <laughs> yeah. which is brilliant yeah. as well, isn't it? Really. I was going to say just one one thing. I was just going to say yeah, with regard to you know, I mentioned I touched on this thing about the if you like the the way that Tony Bloom was organised things. But one thing I think that Tony Bloom picked up uh, from Dick Knight actually was this kind of thing of and making sure he's got characters in the dressing room. Yeah. Um, you know, you can probably name some of the players back in the Whipping days uh, of the characters inside, and mm-hmm. some of them maybe weren't really particularly, uh, really highly technical players, but they're excellent characters. And I think Tony Bloom has carried that on through through his time in charge uh, to where we are now, where I believe that people like Welbeck, Lalania, yeah, uh, yeah, they, they are big characters. They, you know, in, in the dressing room, 
yeah. dunk as well, of course. Yeah, um, all the councils calling Trossard out at, about this. Uh, yeah, this situation yeah. was going on. Yeah. Uh, along and, it, yeah. and you you would wonder whether you know when Potter's gone into the Chelsea dressing room, who are the characters there? Who are those type of characters that he he was he enjoyed when he was at uh, when he was at Brighton that he hasn't got maybe in in uh, <clears throat> in Chelsea? So uh, yeah, that was. Yeah, if something else I wanted to do. If you're talking about title-winning contenders, you no, I can't think of any that won titles without having characters in their team because it's a fundamental part of it, isn't it? You have yeah. to have exceptional quality, a bit of luck, maybe the best yeah. coach or the best component parts along the way yeah. in other regards. But you have to have those characters as well. Yeah. Mm. Well, listen, we'll have a quick break there. When we come back in part two, any further thoughts on the Liverpool game? A little bit more about Trossard. Get some more views on that. And there's a couple of other bits of news and items to chat about. So we'll come back in just a moment. So welcome back to part two of the podcast. With me and Peter, we have Alan Dodd, we have Andy Bass, and we have Andy Bravery. And we've been talking about the delight of that Liverpool game. Um, so to start off part two, any further thoughts on the game itself? Uh, or men of the match, or any other thoughts along those lines? Andy, Andy Bass? Yeah, basically, I think it was a one-game goal of the season competition for the Albion. Um, <laughs> yeah. we I, somehow we haven't managed to speak about the goals yet. Um, they were all magnificent goals. Obviously, yeah. we, we Matip helped us out with the first goal, but he passes it to passes it expertly to McAllister, but then McAllister, he pounces on that ball hmm. and he's right in there. Then it goes straight into Lalana, then it goes into Matoma and then Soddy's there to actually poke it home, you know, really, you know, put it in quite stylishly. That was a nice, nice very, very nice finish from Soddy just to like clinically push, finish Flash that. Finish. And it was just, it was just, it was just like watching, I don't know, piranhas go after a piece of meat that you just <laughs> chuck, into, chuck into a pond. The way that we pounced on that ball and just scored that goal within a flash of Matip making that error. Very quickly on that goal as well, it was Ferguson who forced the error from Matip. It was a really good pressing. Yeah. Yeah. He was the one who, who closed him down, wasn't it? It wasn't, as the BBC said, you know, fortunate because the second goal wasn't fortunate, just when the first one was because of the error. It was Ferguson's press that was brilliant. Uh, yeah, and we say so everything about that, the execution and a perfect example of what we were talking about earlier about how technically good this performance was, just like really quick interplay. It's, undef- it's indefensible um, or undefendable. I don't know which, which one of those two words, but um, and just like March, just like crisply put it away. Absolute zero doubt, zero doubt in his mind. Alisson, no chance. So one and up and then the second goal, again, like Ferguson, again involved, beautiful layup for, for Solly, who just puts in one of the best finishes I've seen. I mean, I, I know he said he was kind of digging it out a little bit. So maybe that's what made it look that little bit more difficult and a little bit more special. But that was an exquisite finish. That was world class. It was. It was absolutely yeah. world class. Alisson, no chance. Where where March ended up putting that ball, Alisson, who was not in a bad position. He was just beaten by 
an, a supremely well-taken uh, goal. It was unbelievable. And that March and March knew it when he just like went running into the North stand. And you, you think about his football journey. It's like come to that moment where he is literally stood on that wall, lapping it all up. Sussex like boy. The adulation. Uh, so he's now turned into a coal machine, which is like <laughs> the most unlikely goal machine ever. But but he what well, yeah, but he looks it's the culmination of of how he's been playing recently and um absolutely wonderful goal. And that's gotta be in a that should be in a in the goal of the season on match of the day hmm. uh competition, I think. Um it's just brilliant. It's and just- then but then just to top it all off, the small matter of, um, you know, Danny Welbeck's Phoenix in the Flames version of uh, Paul Gascoigne's goal against Scotland. Well, people have, someone posted on Twitter, um, Welbeck 81st minute, and they showed footage of Pele's goal from uh, the Sweden, yes. against Sweden, not 58, yeah. Which, of course, we've already had a comparison with Welbeck from the, the goal celebration. Uh, there was some similarity you know, in, in the arms of someone else, one arm in the air. And then now we've got another replication. So the well thing is really catching on, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> what a delight for Welbeck is, you know, he's been out been out for a while and now being superseded by Ferguson, who I think mm. is now, um, you know, striker one and Welbeck can go back to being the, the guy that we bring on on the bench. And what a guy to bring off the bench and and the way the way he took that, I mean, just like flipped it over Gomez's head, didn't even touch his body, just like the ball spinning beautifully, and then he just whacks it past Allison again, no chance. Yeah. Um I mean Gaz- Gaz- all, I mean all all three of those goals were good. So we didn't, you know, and it just was the icing on the cake of like we we destroyed Liverpool on on Saturday, we absolutely battered them. We scored three excellent goals, which were all required good skill, good technical quality. It was the complete performance, and um, and I just think the quality of those goals. It wasn't, yeah, there was nothing lucky about it. It was nothing fortunate about it. It was just like the best team won that game. There was only one team on that pitch. And um, those three goals, I just thought, summed it up for me. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I think, can't say fairer than that. I think that really does sum it up perfectly. It was such a dominant performance. Um, the other thing to mention, actually, as I said, Sussex boy there with his, with his feet up on the, on the advertising boards in front of the North Stand is great to see. One thing we didn't mention, we did mention it was a young squad that we've had in a young team, but of course... What hasn't been mentioned, certainly in the wider media, and I don't think anyone locally has reiterated it recently, but the four academy players in that team um, from various ages, they've got into the equation, obviously not all of them right from the beginning. But you've got Sanchez in goal, you've got Dunk at the back, the captain, you've got obviously Solly March that we've just been talking about, and you've now got Evan Ferguson up front. Four academy players for all of our shrewd signings uh, for for ready-made players or thereabouts. um, We've got those players that we did have to develop to some degree, after signing or bringing through from younger ages. And we've done that as well. So it's terrific to see that element as well. Peter? Um, just to work a couple of points, I suppose. 
I, yeah, I agree with Andy. There were all three brilliant goals. I also thought there were a couple of moves in the first half, which if we'd scored, got the final ball right for them, would have been even better. There yeah. were some of the passing and interchanging. I, as I said earlier, I think, I think actually our passing, if anything, was better in the first half. We were just more clinical in the second half. Um, yeah. And we gave the ball away a few times to the back a little bit carelessly at 2-0. But the first half, some of the passing out of the fence and it, it's, in through the lines was incredible. And yeah, if it wasn't for the final ball, we'd have had goals of the season there, in my opinion. Second thought was, um, I love Beltman coming on because he just, some of the times that this, this the young Liverpool kid would go for his aim, he's kind of tried to go past him. And Beltman just stands there and walks away with the ball. And the, you know, the Liverpool youngsters just stood there wondering what on earth has happened there. And Beltman just literally just stands there and walks off. And he, I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I thought Grosh played brilliantly at right back, but I'd always start Beltman there just because I think he's fantastic. Final point is, which I think has almost been lost, but he hasn't scored, but. I haven't really spoken about the Everton game too much. And I, Ferguson has settled in brilliantly and looks, I mean, I'm not getting carried away, but he looks a finished article. I know, I know Connolly for a couple of games look really good, but Ferguson's got the build as well. He's strong. He's big. And the, the couple of um, the goals that match the day showed and were analysing of, of, of Everton, the second goal where he backed away and got a completely free shot on goal because he found the space. And yeah. then the third goal when he ran round the back and, and basically put the defenders off while March just wandered through. Were, were brilliant bits of play that were well above his age, you know, in terms of intelligence at football level. Yeah. Yeah, and he's a real prospect. And yeah, I mean, I we, we may well have found, saved ourselves whatever amount of money we need to spend on a striker with Ferguson because he, he looks like a natural goal scorer and a, a quality player in the build-up as well. Yeah, more mm. you can always do with extra cover. I do think, you know, essentially we've got all we need at the moment. And intelligence is the word, as you said. Intelligence to find space, intelligence and instinct to make the runs and do the right things. Certain elements of that I'm sure you can coach, but a lot of it is it's just naturally there for him. And it's that's probably the- where Connolly lacks. But I don't think he, is that, he has that much football intelligence without being unkind. I think Connolly lacks intelligence. <laughs> Football intelligence is probably a nice way of putting it. But yeah, I mean, it's like to, to the untrained eye, that second goal at Everton looked a, a tap in. But as, as they were saying on match today, and you know, it, it was basically his movement to go backwards, which yeah. you know, kind of go back and allow. And I mean, to, to, you know, to have hit Sarmiento set him up as well, and both of them are so young and making, well, Sarmiento's second league start probably and, and Ferguson's first. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, we've got some exciting players coming through. And, and obviously, we've just signed another one with the uh, Buona. Buonanotte. Yeah, exactly. Buonanotte and also the Irish lad. I mean, I might be at a lower Mullins. level of ability, but Mullins. Is it Jamie yeah. Mullins, I think his name yeah. is? And um, obviously Moran came on for his Premier League debut at Everton as well. So Yes, another Irish lad. He's regarded, yeah. very highly regarded. Yeah. Um, Alan, mm. I know you wanted to come back in there, I think. Yeah, I'll just pick it up on uh, Ferguson. I mean, I, I, he made some lovely touches, actually. Uh, particularly the first half, I noticed about two or three occasions where there were just beautiful layoffs. He's very good also at uh, making nice uh, ghosting runs as well, uh, drawing drawing defenders away for other players. Uh, he's very intelligent in that way as well. So uh, the other thing I wanted to say was um, picking up on something someone was saying earlier with regard to we're, we're nice to look at. We're you know we're becoming a team that people want to watch, non-Albion supporters. So I think uh, I'm expecting maybe in the next round of te- television um, decisions, I think we're going to see a lot of non. 3 p.m. kickoffs because I suspect they're going to pick quite a few of their games uh, in the next round of TV uh, TV things and and again uh, I really wanted to see us how we're progressing. Uh, I'm really really looking forward to when we play Man City at home against Pep because if we're on this kind of form 
let's see how, how Pep steps up and how he actually can handle us. And I really would like to see that as a test. I'm yeah, really looking forward to that. I'm not sure when that game is, but... Uh, um, uh, late yeah. April, I think. Uh, yeah. mm. that's that is... Some way away, but uh, that will be... I'm really looking forward to that game, <laughs> if oh. we're in this kind of form still. Yeah, I mean, it's the last nut to crack, isn't it? I know we, we had that come from behind win against them, but they'd already won the title, and it's, it, it was still 3-2. I think if we could actually have a, a game, I'm not saying we'll dominate like we did against Liverpool, but if we have a game where we deserve to beat them and outplay them and, and beat them, um, I think that would be the final nut to crack, wouldn't it, really, in this division? Yeah, well, the way the way it's going between Arsenal and Man City, then it's going to go down to the last few games. Mm. So when we play them, Man City have got to get the points. So they're going to be have to be well up for that game. So, yeah. as I say, it really depends on what kind of form we're on at the time. If we're, we're playing like this, then crikey, it's going to be one hell of a game. And we'll see how good we are then. But they're the only team we get the big six we haven't beaten in the last year. So we've beaten United yeah. twice, Arsenal away, Tottenham away, Liverpool home, Chelsea home. So they were hammering both the latter two as well. We, we've, we've broken the big six except for City, really. Mm. Andy, yeah. Just to be a little bit controversial on that, I actually think Pep will quite like to play us because we're going to come out at him and we're going to give his team chances to score, whereas I think he's struggling at the moment breaking teams down. So I think mm-hmm. it'll make for a much better game, but in some ways I think Pep might fancy himself more chance to get a win simply because we're going, we're going to go for a win as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it'll be a good, yeah. it will be a really good game, really good game. Well, um, we're amidst the transfer window. We've mentioned him earlier, Trossard. It looks like the situation at the moment. I think Deserby's handled it pretty well, but I do think um, there's a pretty good chance he's going this window. The agent seems to have been acting like a complete dickhead. Um, and as far as Trossard goes, it seems as if he's lost his kind of uh, his interest and he's buggered off to Belgium reportedly, although that hasn't been confirmed. Apparently not with permission. Deserby's handled it pretty well in the press, I think. I, I thought Deserby did perhaps confirm it. Yeah, he has got oh, is he? Oh, is he? Yeah, right, he did yeah. get permission, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. So, but, you know, he, he's kept an olive branch there. He's kept it open. So there's still the possibility for him to come back in. He dropped in the comment, he's a good guy. So, you know, it's quite nice that he's kept that little complimentary comment in there, which is actually a bit of a barbed one, I think, because it, it kind of puts the onus on him to to prove, am I actually a good guy? You know, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with it. But what do people think about it? I mean, obviously, in terms of him as an involved part of this squad, I think it's the one we could probably take a hit on in terms of losing, much as we wouldn't want to lose any of our strength and depth. He's not a first choice at the moment, simple as. Um, he might, if things are playing out differently, have become one again at some point during the season. But um, do we think this is the end of the road, Peter? I, yeah, I mean, it's... I think he's he's made a, a rod for his own back now and he's probably out. I can't see a way back personally from this situation, given what his agent said, which was from the sound of it, a pack of lies, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. From the sound of it, his agent doesn't have many or any big name players. So it, sound, it could well be that he wants his payday and Trossard's his payday, which, yeah. you know, I mean, the sort of thing agents do, isn't it? They kind of, they're not exactly the most scrupulous people in the, in the world, allegedly. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's. I think he's. He's burned his bridges now. I, I don't think he, we don't need him as much as we did at one point. If he'd stayed on and if he'd come back from the World Cup really, really fit and really wanted to go for it, he'd probably have had eight or nine goals now. He potentially could have fifteen by the end of the season. Even with the extra year we've given him, we've we've taken on. 
he probably would have got a reasonable deal like Basuma did last summer in terms of the deal he could have gone for. And he'd have had loads of suitors potentially because he'd have got 15 Premier League goals. And at a price like that, he probably, you know, 30 million or something like that, he probably would, would have had play, you know, loads of big clubs after him. Or he could even have stayed here. I mean, I don't necessarily think he's good enough for a big six club anyway. He could have stayed here and been, you know, probably taken a, whatever payment we were offering, probably was our, you know, our highest paid player. We were probably offering him the same as any other, you know, the, our, our biggest paid player. He could have become a real hero here and, you know, had a, you know, played for quite a few more years. And yeah, either way, he's screwed it up now. And I think he'll end up probably going to mainland Europe because we won't want to sell him to a Premier League club, so they'll be put off by him. He might have burned some some of his bridges for some of the players due to some reports of a, two or three fallouts and exchanges there as well, possibly. I don't know if you think that as well, Andy, uh, bravery. Uh, to be honest with you, the whole thing leaves me a bit confused because, I mean, before before Christmas, I thought he was having his best season. Certainly he was much better. The goal scoring rate was higher and he was more consistent because that's always been one of the criticisms, I think, is that he can blow a bit hot and cold. And maybe he does that in terms of mood as well. He goes away for the World Cup. I don't know whether someone's been talking to him in the Belgium squad or it's, whether it's just about his um, agent. But, I mean, you, know, you can always tell your agent to shut up if you want to. I've, I got the feeling that that, that agent's um, statement he put out really was kind of... was. So it felt like it was Trossard's words, really. It felt quite emotional. Whereas, like, agents normally will try and kind of make it a lot more kind of, you know, calm it down a bit and just make it very clinical. So... Um, he comes back. He doesn't look interested. He, you know, he he doesn't really want to look. He want to be here. He's obviously indicated that he's not going to sign a contract. So he must be looking at Basuma and thinking, well, that means you know Basuma went in the summer. I, you know, why not play the rest of the season? Do your best. Probably score as Pete says a lot more goals. Um, you'd be in and out, maybe in and out of the team, but you know, there's there's always a there's always a, a place for someone like him. Um, in and amongst certainly, if not the eleven and the thirteen. So he's going to get on most games. We'll probably start a number because you're still going to get injuries and that. And then, and then he'd probably have more people to choose from in the summer. I don't think, well, I mean, if they're anything like normal, they're not, they're not going to give him away. And I think that if he can't come back and make the peace with Deserby, then I think Deserby will let him train with the under-23s until the summer, which doesn't suit anybody, really. I think Deserby's given him a, as understood, he's, you know, he's, He's got to give him a. He's got to give him a an, an honorary an opportunity for an honorary back down. Um, and maybe because they're not seeing the offers coming through that that are, that are interesting. Um, a Bloom and Barber. So we'll see. We'll see what 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 happens. Really, I mean, I I, I mean, I have to say one one thing about him as a footballer is I I don't I, I haven't seen many players who have quite the balance that he has. He's he, when he's on the ball, he's a wonderful balance about him. Um, and I was hoping this was going to be the season where we were going to see the consistent Trossard. Um, and it's turned out to be the petulant Trossard, isn't it, really? Mm. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. But, I mean, that, that, that offer from, uh, alleged offer from Levy that was in the Athletic for 12 million, I mean, that's just Levy taking oh, a piss really. again, isn't it, really? It's just yeah. typical Levy, really. He's got a yeah. nice chance, that guy. Especially I don't know why he bothers. Supposedly a good negotiator, but if you're if you're being that derisory, I'm not sure that's gonna it's gonna get the backs up of whoever you're negotiating with. Well and it's not like Obviously, he doesn't know Barber, is it? Yeah, exactly. You know, Barber and Blue, but he's gonna know them. So I mean, you know, I mean it was a, I mean he already knows. I mean he, he knows what he's doing in that sense because he knows last year really he got Basuma for you know for for a, a, a cheaper rate simply because of the, the contract situation. And it'll yeah. probably be the same with Trossard because there'll only be a, a year left on it. So there's a discount there. You know, I think I personally think that Basuma was was worth more than thirty million as a player. 
but that he was worth probably 30 million because he only had a year on his contract and it'd be the same with Trossard. Yeah. But, you know, rather than like try and get him in now and be sensible, you know, like a place, you know, silly buggers and probably give us, a, you know, offer us another million and and then maybe it'd be 15 million at the end of Jan and I'll take it or leave it so we won't bother. Yeah, they need to be talking 20. For, for this window, you've got to be talking 20, haven't we? I, I would have thought 20 to 30 million, depending on what Deserve is saying, really. If Deserve is saying, like, I don't mind, he can come back, then I think we can. We might even hold out to the summer yeah. if we don't get what we really want. Yeah, because mm. the summer window is a better window to sell in, ideally, unless, um, well, it can, people are desperate, so that actually you may, may get a better price. In well, there. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, if you get a good, if they get a price, obviously they've got a price in their head, haven't they? So if they get that, then I think he might well go. But I mean, also it might depend on what we're looking to do, whether we're actually looking to do any business in January, because I mean, you know, Deserby doesn't have anybody at the moment, does he? That's his player. This is someone else's team that mm. he's that he's enjoying. That's you true. Know, yeah. At some yeah, point, he might. I'm sure. I'm sure he's got a few names out there of players that um that he sort of you know that he's got an eye on, and they must be thinking for the summer. They must be thinking that you know McAllister and and um Casado possibly will both get offers that maybe we can or can't refuse and if we can't refuse then I then I personally feel that we are if they both go then we do need a plan you know we need some backup because I don't think we've got the players in the the squad at the moment who can come in and replace them even closer but I don't think Gilmore is showing me enough at the moment but yeah. other than that other than that you know there's plenty of plenty of um, backup elsewhere in the squad, and I'm sure, like I say, he's got his own ideas about players he'd like. Hmm. I, I don't think that Casado and McAllister are replaceable anyway, to be honest. I don't think we're ever going to get a pairing. Oh, I agree. Even closer. I mean, we've got an exceptional scouting team, and, you know, there's one or two, you know, that this Kozlowski face to be like the next, be one of the big wonder kids of Europe and that sort of thing. And But it's going to be almost impossible to replace them. We just have to hope we get reasonable ones. Um, but I find the Spurs interested in, in Trossard and him wanting to, if he did want to go there, very odd because I don't see him getting in that team. Spurs' strength is their front three, so he's not going to start at Spurs. Well, and, stop him getting a winner against uh, against them, I suppose. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's a very odd, and, and also I don't really see why he, you know, he, they're they're really poor this season as well. They need other other areas to be you know added in, not which is probably why they're bidding so low for Trossard. But if it's true, but it's, I just find it a bit odd both ways that. He's not Tottenham's priority to me, and he shouldn't be wanted to go to a club who he'll probably back up. Look at Basuma. I mean, he's having a good time on Spurs' bench. Mm. This is the this is the problem, isn't it? I don't think he's quite a top six player, partly because of the con- consistency, and then possibly this attitude thing might not help him either. So if he's not going for a traditional top six, you maybe think about someone like Newcastle, who is sort of bridging that 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 sort of um, divide, aren't they, at the moment? Who else would be talking about? Sizable clubs like West Ham? We wouldn't want to go there at the moment. Everton, we? Everton again, the same thing. Villa. Leeds, champions of Europe. You know, none, Leeds, any of those so-called big clubs aren't particularly doing well. Um, who else do you go to? I mean, I, I'm not sure. There's a lot of talk about um, Atletico Madrid being interested. And yeah, abroad maybe. You might so be, maybe, maybe go back to Europe. I can't really see him getting in a side that's above us in the table at the moment. Hmm. And so I think he would be, he would have to take a step down bizarrely, given that he is a good player. Um, hmm. He'd be taking a step down. I just don't understand why you would want to leave what is going on here at the moment. I mean, he's scored 
what seven seven or eight goals for seven yeah, goals seven already. Goals. He's a key part of the success so far this season, and it looks like yeah, we we have an opportunity to make this the best season this football club's ever had, and um, in terms of its league position, and he has a he has a chance to be a central part of that history, and he's choosing to walk out for. I just don't know what reason. Um, and if he applied himself, Andy, to that to that season, and he was part of the success as well, and he still wanted to move on, he's in a better position to step up to a top six team. If I mean, he, that's why I don't that team. I yeah. don't see Caicedo going in this in this window hmm. unless it's unless it's just like ridiculous um, money. But even even then, if I just like Caicedo seems to be really enjoying himself. He's got um, like a good bunch of teammates with which he's good friends. Um, so you've got that nice Ecuadorian, that South American uh, group of players for him to feel really at home in. He's playing his best football. We're you know we we have an opportunity to push for a European football this this season. He's he's clearly going to be a, a midfield superstar and I think he, I think he would make unlike unlike Trossard I think he would make pretty much every team above us better um, but also he would have seen what's happened to Kukurea would have seen what's happened to Bissouma and it's all well and good wanting to move but you've got to make the right move You've got to make a move that's going to be good for your career. I don't think Kukurea and Basuma made moves that were good for their career because they went they went to clubs that mm. can't seem to accommodate them. Yeah. Um, mm. And Caicedo, you know, I, you know, I mean, I would, I mean, certainly if you're looking at Eng- you know, the English clubs, Liverpool, and Man United, would be much better with Caicedo in. It would be quite ironic if Man United don't have to pay us ninety million pounds when they could have bought him for like twenty five quid a couple of years ago, <laughs> but they couldn't be bothered to do the paperwork. And um, that would be quite funny. But, um, but I, but he doesn't seem like he's agitating for a move. I know he's got a new agent. But I suppose that's just because he's now he's now high profile. I suppose he's he will have interests that need protecting, but. Let's just hope he hasn't got a guy hoping to ship him off at the first first opportunity. I'm getting quite tired now. The fact that just because we've done a good job bringing this team up, suddenly like, oh yeah, okay, well, nice one, Brian, but you can't now. Now, 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 like the big money clubs can just come and profit from your from your hard work. Mm. Uh, So we, we're not allowed to win anything because we have to keep winning everything. It's like I'm getting pretty sick. That is. That is annoying me quite a bit. It seems unfair that we we are expected to give up Caicedo after like one good season. Yeah. Um, but he but he is exceptional. He's really, really good. And uh, I'm certainly enjoying the performances whilst they last. Who knows? We might even hold on. If you know, if we do finish high high enough up in the league, we might put us that is the incentive for us to do well this season if we Put ourselves in in a position where we can actually offer offer the football experience that these guys want. McAllister, I mean, just seems happy as Larry. I mean, 
I'm not even sure he wants to go. <laughs> I mean, I, know, I mean, he has signed the extra deal. He has signed the, yeah. the, you know, the extra long contract just so that it means that when people do bid for him, they're going to have to cough up the the top rate. But he, 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 I don't know, unless I'm misreading it completely, he is absolutely loving it here. And everything that's going right in his career now is because of us. And I think he genuinely seems grateful for yeah. it as well. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I certainly don't see McAllister going to, to an English club. He's going to go to top European. Mm. But, yeah. um, but, you know, it's, it's, it, is, it is frustrating that, you know, that's why football is so warped. It's like we're not allowed to keep these players and then sustain that. Yeah. Insurgency, isn't it? In mm. the uh, thing, so no, it's just no, it's only like these six clubs that are allowed to do that, and so like <laughs> you know, it's us now. It was Southampton back then. When you think if they kept hold of all the players that they had, they could they could have been up there up there as well, you know. And the, you know other teams that have been sort of forced to sell, and we've got so many good players now. Everyone's just like it's just like all these scouts and recruitment. Managers are just lazy. It's just like, well, let's just have a look and see what Brighton is doing. Well, it seems like we'll let them do the legwork, and then we'll, then all we have to do is just pony up with a with the pot of gold, yeah. and uh, you know we, we can all go off into the sunset. Yeah, it's deeply frustrating. Thoroughly agree, and I think part of the reason this occurs is due to the way things are shaped. The perceptions are shaped um, by the media. It it picks up these big six to such a degree. That it um, it perpetuates it kind of it's a self perpetuating thing, isn't it? And uh, it then becomes more and more of a thing for the players as well. They're more and more attracted to the big clubs because they're believing a mixture of the the hype and the the genuine size of the club elements, and it, it escalates off the, off the scale. Which will neatly bring me back to another rant about media in a minute. But Andy Bravery, you wanted to come back in. Well, there. I just want yeah, I just wanted to say though, really, we can't you know we can't we can't look at ourselves as and sell ourselves as come and play for us, and you might go to a big club, and then when they do, we don't no. we don't really like it. Um, at the same time, I'm always amused by the the fans of the big clubs like complaining that we want too much money, that we're being too greedy, and that we should just give our players away. I don't really know where that attitude comes from. As for Casado, I, I do I do think that that is that is a special player, and I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to somewhere like Real Madrid. I think he's that good that I think he could go there because he's it, you know his his vision for someone his age is just amazing. And mm. I do actually think he's the one that um and I and I and I think he probably he will want that move and he will have seen us as a stepping stone. But that's all right. I mean, I remember when we do you remember when we spoke to Tim Vickery um, yeah. on on the pod? You know, and he was saying back then, mm. you know, and, and that was probably two years ago now, two three years ago, yes. really, that, that he was that you know that he was seen as the best prospect in South America. And I think he's, and he's, and he's sort of, um, he's proven that in his play. And Potter, I think also admitted that really he should have started playing him earlier, That really he should have put him in the, in the, in the squad, in the team and the squad a lot earlier. And he's done nothing, you know, he's not let us down at all on any level. And I do, honestly, I think he's somebody that, that's sort of like Real Madrid bound. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I've also spoken to Tim Vickery recently and, and also heard him on several other broadcasts as well. And he is absolutely 100% loving what Brighton are doing, both mm. in terms of the South American stuff and the way 
that um, we've now seemed to have found a way to, bridge, uh, to, to ignore that tricky element of needing uh, the South American players to come somewhere into Latin Europe and then on to England. We've taken the, the ballsy jump of cutting out that middle phase, mm. signing the players, maybe loaning them back, but signing them in directly and then bringing them through. Um, and he's loving the way we're, we're run. He, he thinks we're the best run club out there. And it's great to hear someone of his who I absolutely have nothing but respect for. I think he's one of the best football journalists out there. His, his passion for the game and the way he, he articulates the cultural side of, mm. of football as well and the culture behind football is, is superb. And for him, mm. someone like him to have recognised and to be waxing lyrical about our club is, is again, it's, it's beautiful to behold. It's superb. Mm. Um, Alan? Yeah, I mean, just... just... A number of things I wanted to say, but you just triggered something I thought about and was I looked at um, that video of McAllister when he walked into our training grounds uh, to that applause and everything. And at the time, only after about two or three days, the, the, the number of views of that video was in the millions. In the millions. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, is, that is exposure for the club, unbelievable exposure for the club. It was liked by Messi, wasn't it, as well? Yeah. The yeah. official club tweet. Yeah. So, so I agree everything you said about Kaiseido, and I just wanted to add there that you know when, when he came, uh, well I understand the way that the American South American football works. You, there's a lot of people who see, seem to have a stake in players, so they're expecting a payday. So is it inevitable he's going to go? They're obviously they're hoping he's going to go for a huge fee because there's a lot of people who are expecting get expecting to get a payday in South America. So he will go. Uh, it's just when. Uh, I just hope I'm just hoping that you know we're going to have a really good season. Maybe we, and we do get into Europe, and he he feels because he's still very young. He feels he can give another season of you know, keeping his group together. That's what I'm really hoping for. Can I can I just go back to Trossard briefly? May I? Or yeah, uh, I, I, mean, I think I think I just really want to make a couple of points. Really, I mean, there's always two sides to the story, and it's hard to kind of fathom. And, and I think I was just reflecting on you know when 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 Deserby really first joined, and one. You know, thing I was kind of worried about was because of his personality, there was some differences between him and Potter. You know, that maybe if he didn't quite get on with the players, then things could start to unravel fairly quickly. So, uh, you know, moving moving to, to to where we are today, it seems to me that he does have a good connection with the players. There's, we, there's the vibes from the dressing room is very good, and Trossard seems to be the outlier in this for some reason. So that's that's I think that's quite encouraging. And I really wanted to just ask a question. I mean, obviously, he's put out this olive branch. Is it genuine? I'm not sure. But it, let's suppose it is a, a genuine thing. What do you think, or what do you think the supporters of Albion would, would be looking for from Trossard to accept him back without uh, too much uh, too much problems? We, we've had this situation before. We've had it with, uh, with uh, Dal Stevens. I mean, even Dunk was angling for a move a few years ago. So the players have been kind of been forgiven for, um, for uh, wanting to go somewhere else uh, what, what what do you think oh peter and then andy bass peter first yeah for me the difference was i think if he hadn't played any of those games since the world cup i'd probably be more forgiving but he just looked completely disinterested from the moment he came on against charlton to all the way through the Southampton game despite the fact we were brilliant and against arsenal we looked so much better with ferguson on than he than when he was on and mm. it I just can't, I, I, you know, I can forgive players if they're crap because the manager picked them. It's not, you know, they, don't, you know, they, it just happens as long as they're trying. If you just don't bother, and he didn't, to my mind, those three games, then I just don't think, yeah, I, I'm not sure there is much of a way back. On the other hand, if they turn around tomorrow and say he's on a four and a half year contract, then probably most people would forgive him. In all yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm just, I think I'm angry 
I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed, as the old cliche goes. And I, but I'm not too fussed either way. If if it, if it's destined that he could come back and do well, great, fine. I'll good luck to him. That's fine. Not a problem. But I'm or equally. I'm not that fussed if he does go. But Andy Bass, what do you what do you think? I. It doesn't look good at the moment. But I think if they if if they do come to to an arrangement where he does come back, he's a good player. I want him to do well. So yeah, I, I could I could forgive him. I mean. I could, you know, but he would, but he would have to, but he'd have to earn his place in the side. I wouldn't play him for the sake of it. I want, I want the Trossard that that we were all excited about. I want the the guy that's jinking in and scoring the same goal every time. A defender still can't defend it. <laughs> um, you know, those goals are brilliant. Um, get him back in. But if he wants to go, if he really doesn't want to be a part of this, then yeah, let's let's find him somewhere. Let's find him a new home. Mm. But. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's it's the ball's really in his court. I mean, I just I just don't know why he's why he's feeling this way in terms of like it's such a good situation here. I mean, obviously there's more money to be had at other some other clubs, but I don't know. I mean, he's he's, he's hardly on a he's hardly on minimum wage, is he? Um, he's got a big pay rise if he got a new deal as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's it's up to him. But if he comes back and he wants to play, and he wants to get involved again and put this behind him, I'm all for it. Mm. Uh, at, the end of, at, the, at the end of the day, we're going to the business, the business end of the season, and this time the business end is something quite significant. For yeah, potential. competition. Yeah, we've got no time for people that aren't interested. No, absolutely. Yeah. There's um, no passengers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Roberto's shown that he's not going to tolerate that, and it's good. It's yeah. decisive and quick to go right. Okay, fine. Let's be diplomatic. But you know, if you're not, if you're not fully on board, boom, you're you're out of the equation for now. Potentially out of the equation for good. End off. That's it. Um, moving swiftly on. Just got conscious of time. Just a couple of bits to go through before we finish. Um, I, I mentioned um, I'm going to have another little bit of a rant about media. R- really, in particular, Garth Crooks. I can't stop mentioning this guy. People say, "Well, don't read his thing." Like I don't, but then people send it to me, <laughs> and it winds me up, and then I can't resist having a pop. This bloke is a buffoon. He's gone for his team of the week, which is Martinez, White, Shaw, Moreno, March. Um, Ostergaard, Jensen, Ward, Prowse, fair enough. He scored two goals again, didn't he? Johnson, Rashford, and Saka. Okay, some of those probably justifiable. We've got one in our team, and we've absolutely battered Liverpool. And when he did talk about March, the one choice that he put in there, half of it was just a criticism of Liverpool's defence in the summary bit where he categorised March. He's not even talking about the player that much. The guy is an absolute buffoon. And where he does talk about the player, half is about the Southampton game as well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's not even the same bloody match. Uh, the, the guy is an idiot. I mean, he, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure, sure he is. He was a great player, a really good player. One of the first memories I had watching him at the Goldstone. But as a pundit, he is utterly appalling. He's utterly useless. He might as well get a job on Talk Sport because he's that bad. It really is appalling. You know, uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, um, I wish I didn't keep hearing about his teams of the bloody week and why the BBC keep paying him for for this, I don't know. Um, he has absolutely no insight and no proper savvy here at all. Um, all I would say is he did compliment the way he said about Southampton. He said battered Southampton or something. So there was a bit of a compliment in there. That's the only saving grace. But 
does my head in. And there's other members of the media or so-called media, um, especially things like TalkSport that Alan mentioned, somebody on TalkSport. You know, those guys don't know what they're talking about. We, we might as well go on there. I think we could talk about a game than they do um, with, with no extra expert expertise at all, but it'd be more entertaining than some of the crap they come out with. It's all about... still uh, apologise for his stupid comments about Deserby at the start. Who soon is? No. Yeah. Of course not. Yeah. I mean, how how foolish of the people that expressed clear reservations about Deserby made to look now. Um, I think it's the old Oscar Wilde quote, quote, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. And that applies <laughs> to far too many of these idiots. Except not when you're in the media, though. It's, it's, it's better to look a fool, be a fool, Apparently, and get yeah. talked about and all over the place than it is to not say anything. It generates reaction. That's what they want, isn't it? They want clicks online. They want people to phone up and talk nonsense on their phone ends and all that sort of stuff. Ah, oh, does my head in. That's one thing. Another thing, just um, a couple of ex-players um, out there. And we, we had on um, Danny Cashman on the podcast a while back when he was a youth player for us, I think, with the 23s. Um, he went out to Coventry. He's ended up on land at Walsall. He's gone back to Cov. Um, so he's still about. Um, Anthony Knockhart's still about, and he's back in blue and white stripes. He signed for Huddersfield, the latest in his uh, his latter-day journey around the country. Um, yeah, best of luck to him. He was a great legend for us in our promotion year and the other seasons thereabouts. Um, but another player, an ex-player of ours, I really wanted to mention was Enoch Nwepu, who's who's been given a job at the nines, um, you know, for some sort of youth role with the, with the club. But unfortunately, hearing some more bad news that he's um, he suffered what some people are reporting is a heart attack um, over in Zambia while he was driving out of town somewhere. And he uh, essentially the witness behind saw erratic behaviour by the car, pulled over, came out and then effectively, I think, collapsed and was taken to a hospital there by that by that uh, driver. Um, there seems, seems to be some reports that there's a malfunction with the pacemaker that he'd been fitted with after discovery of his his heart underlying heart condition. We're not quite sure of the exact situation, but he was in critical condition. As far as I know, he's he's still all right, but we wish him the very best. It's awful news, isn't it, to hear that he's, uh, he's had another issue. I, I think it might be something to do with you can have sort of effectively electric shocks from a badly fitted or malfunctioning pacemaker. And it might be something to do with that. I'm not sure. It's hard to tell, but awful news, isn't it, guys, that one? Yeah, and we, and we wish them all the best. I think there was uh, some more, po- there's some positive news today. He seems to be like chatting away to people in, in the hospital and they seem to think he's on the mend. Um, so it's just good that, there was someone who was able to help him immediately yeah. at the yeah. scene, um, which has probably probably saved his life. I don't know. But yeah, so it's just awful. He's such a lovely bloke. I think the job that the Albion have given him is a perfect fit for him to start his coaching journey. I think Someone with that infectious enthusiasm would would certainly make a great coach for the you know for the early input into the academy, um, and so yeah, I really hope yeah I hope he recovers soon and um, and we can get him back over here and keep him in there, keeping him in our Brighton family because it was yeah. very sad to lose him from the team. You know, Absolutely, yeah, yeah, it really was. So yeah, wish him all the very best. Um, 
And yeah, just so a couple of other bits. Transfer news. Obviously, we've we mentioned that we've got one. Anotis confirmed his deal in from um, uh, Rosario. Rosario. Yeah, and obviously Bohemians player. Um, we mentioned Mullins has come in, and um, we've also I think was there someone else we signed? I don't think that might be it at the moment. Um, a couple of players have gone out on loan. Ed Turns has gone out to Orient. I'm not sure if we mentioned that on the last podcast, um, but Orient are flying high, currently top. I think Stevenage might bore their way to the top. Uh, apparently, it's very arbitrary football, but very successful under Steve Evans. Surprise, surprise. But whoever wins the title, I think they're going to be involved in a promotion race. They're absolutely miles clear of the playoffs. So good experience, hopefully, for Ed Turns. And also for Todd Miller, the man who this photograph I'm showing you guys um, shows a bit of the Cucurellas going on there, yeah. his hairstyle. <laughs> He's a, a winger, attacking winger, right winger mainly, who's on loan at Donny. Um, so good luck to him as well in League Two. Um, one of the bits, speaking of ex-players, um, it's actually, I think, from about a week ago, Elliot Bennett was online uh, praising the Albion as well. I mean, he's a tweet from, I think it's from... Yeah, a few days ago saying, wow, I think this might have been after the Everton game. He said, wow, official Brighton of Albion, proper owner, proper fans, proper club, done it the hardest way imaginable and in dreamland right now. Very pleased for the owners and everyone connected with the club. It's great to hear ex-players like that coming out with good comments. So that's always a positive as well. Um, and any other business is really the other thing. I, I just but ex players, Jurgen Lacardia was at the game at the weekend. Yeah. Yes, and he was complimentary as well, wasn't he? <laughs> not the only Jurgen at the match, and not the only complimentary one either. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he was He's probably there, the happier of the two Jurgens, though. <laughs> <laughs> probably, yeah. Alan. Oh, he's somehow muted without being muted. I think, or I don't know what's happened there. We'll see if he's coming back in in a second. I was going to talk about the um, the, the games of the weekend was the final point as well. But yeah, I'm here. I'm back now. Oh, you're back. back. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry Thank about you. I must. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to just say something about Bonanotti quick because uh, I mean he's, he's he's highly rated apparently, and I, I've watched some YouTube videos of him. He looks pretty pretty good. And I, I think it's going to be high. It's it's going to start being embarrassing if he actually turns out to be another. You can imagine, you can imagine him coming back and uh, and being fantastic. I mean, what what is going to be? It's not. It's going to be start start to get a little bit embarrassing that we've picked up this player from what uh, seven million or whatever. <laughs> so uh, feeling he's going to be good, isn't he? Yeah. And um, what, was <laughs> it, what was interesting about um, Buena Notte's arrival? It's like Deserbi was quite keen to say, "Oh no, he's in the first team plans." Yes. Yeah, he did. He's a, he's a good player. He was quite insistent on that, and that's quite. Uh, and obviously, yeah, we are looking forward to the you know to the day where Caicedo eventually moves to Real Madrid or Barcelona or something. And even though I mean, clearly not the same sort of player, much more much more attack minded. But we've got you know we are looking to we're just endlessly pouring raw talent into that part of the the pitch which is which is just where you make all the goals where you make all the excitement it's just it's just like you know it's just such a great way to build a team it's a fun way to build a team um and he looks great and and it's and he probably wasn't going to get in the team straight away so for him to go away to have like a competitive tournament Mm. for the next month um, it's probably going to be really good to get him back, you know, really get him up to sort of match speed. And then he'll be like NC, so like someone who can 
come on and terrorize people for like 10 minutes hmm. to begin with and uh, work his work his way into work his way into the team but very exciting prospect yeah he really is he really is and um Roberto Deserbi, by the way, um, friend of the show, Wedge posted a thing a few days ago. So this may not even be in date anymore. He was saying that apparently he's the 68th longest serving of the 92 already. And on Monday, the 2nd of Jan, um, he'd said um, that he's, oh, no, it was 2nd of Jan. So he said it was, he was up to 68th longest serving. That's 24 places climbed in just 102 days at the time. Pretty much one place every four days. It just shows the managerial merry-go-round. He's 67th now as well. Yeah. Their second manager of the season. And in in the list I've seen, he was counted as September, even though he only took the permanent job in November. Yeah. uh, And that's, and that's actually not many. It's nearly two weeks. Only one more manager gone. Um, there might be some more going soon. Just very quickly on the Premier League for the weekend. I wonder if that way might be where the candidates where, come where from. Whoever loses West Ham Everton must be a fair uh, candidate yeah. for the for the um, sack, shouldn't they? Yeah, I mean Everton Saints at the weekend. Saints came from behind to win. Uh, so that was a disaster for Everton. Obviously, it was a must-win game, so to speak. There was board protests. The boards were told to stay away, threat of possible uh, violence um, that they seem to be in fear of. Um, there was a few confrontations with players. I don't think anything final, but with conf- verbal confrontations uh, between fans and players in the car park, um, things are not great there. Saints, you know, they've they've got through in the cup and now they've... Um, obviously, they've got that win at Everton, so things are turning around a bit for the time being for Nathan Jones. But yeah, for Everton and as you said for West Ham, David Moyes, where's it all gone wrong? It's mad how much of a turnaround that's and been. They've spent a lot of money as well this summer. The, yeah. the Everton irony is, I think they've lost at home to Wolves, having been ahead, then got stuffed by us at home, and then yeah. lost at home to Southampton, having been ahead. Their one decent result is a draw at Man City since, yeah. since the World Cup. <laughs> Which is worthless, effectively, because it's just yeah. one single point, which in isolation is not well, Especially help. when you then go and lose to two of your closest rivals. I mean, yeah. the Wolves, I think, will be safe in the end anyway. They look like under, how do you pronounce it, Lop- Lopetegui, or whatever his name Lopetegui. is. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. They, they've improved a lot, so they're spending a bit of money, so I think they'll be okay anyway. Yeah. But uh, to me, Bournemouth are probably the ones who are the obvious ones to go down at the moment. Yeah. They look, they're, they're sinking without trace, which probably still doesn't mean they won't beat us, but... <laughs> I quite fancy Saints to survive now, actually. I've got a feeling... Yeah, I, I fancy Southampton. Yeah. They, they've got that breakthrough they needed at a time they needed it. Uh, but speaking of City, of course, they lost to Man United, which is annoying for our Champions League chasing because we would have been five off the Champions League. We're eight off instead. Um, beaten 2-1 at Man United, Manchester Derby, which, of course, got all the focus on match of the day, irritatingly. Um, and one thing that did get focus quite rightly was the outrageous... Rashford, uh, sorry, um, uh, Bruno Fernandes' goal, where Rashford was involved blatantly offside from the off in terms of his position, was shielding the ball. Uh, it was involved in its its um, close proximity to the ball the whole way through the attack until the point where Bruno kicks it and buries it around the corner of the goalkeeper, who didn't know which player to watch out for, for in terms of shots. How the hell that wasn't offside just because Rashford didn't touch the ball is beyond me. Anybody got any thoughts on this? Everyone I've spoken to including Dermot Gallagher. Uh, well, I didn't speak to Dermot Gallagher, but I've seen his, what he said. Um, Seagulls over London refs that we've got in our midst, a couple of them have both said, I think, that that was a ridiculous decision. Uh, it's it's one of the most, uh, again, it's a Man U favoured decision. VAR couldn't get involved because it was a subjective offside scenario, but and, and they hadn't flagged it to say it was, 
So it then becomes a bit of an ambiguity. But why the, why didn't the ref uh, and the linesman between them give the correct decision anyway? He was clearly interfering, wasn't he, guys? Yeah, absolutely. I just the offside law just baffles me at the moment. The interpretation of it. The point the point of the offside law is to stop an attacker getting an unfair advantage by basically goal hanging and being nearer being nearer to the goal. And now we have far, you know, we're getting we're getting goals disallowed simply because someone's got bigger feet than the person they're standing next to. Um, so like their toe might be bit, but that and then that's only in a freaks frame. It's like no, when you're in the movement, they're basically they're essentially level. And yeah. so you're getting goals disallowed for that. So you're finding an excuse to disallow good goals for the most minute reasons. And then the last week, we've had two blatantly offside goals, one for Liverpool, one for Manchester yeah. United. Um, and because of this stupid interpretation of the law, they both stand. So you're finding excuses to allow goals that should have no right to be allowed. And you're finding it and you're looking for excuses to, to, to disallow perfectly good goals, which on any other occasion would 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 be given goals. I don't know, you know, they have they have to look at the if you're gonna now now we're in the age of bar, I think they have to look at the law. I think you have to rewrite it and it has to be you yeah, there has to be bigger margins, you know, make the that you can't make things like millimetres. Things like, yeah, Rashford was like yards offside. Mm. He shields the ball. He doesn't touch the ball. But the law, if you read the law, it doesn't say... But he has to. Mm. Touching is not the only method of interfering with play. Affecting your... Basically, basically the defender didn't... the, The defender stood off him because he knew he was offside position, so he didn't go and chase him. The goalkeeper... Is in a different position because he can, because he can see that Rashford is in. He's following the ball, so he's positioning himself for that. And then Fernandez comes. Then he allows Fernandez to come and take the shot, and like Edison's out of position. He clearly is influencing the play and impairing the ability of the defending team to defend that properly. It's yeah. not a goal. Um, it's just ridiculous. And the people saying technically it is a goal because he didn't touch it. That isn't how the law is written. And those those are Man United crony apologists, Rio Ferdinand and Paul Scholes apparently saying, oh, he was smart. They were smart and clever. Not really. They just did a basic thing that you would do if you're an offside position, try not to touch the ball. And then they did something blatant aside from that, which should have been a beacon of obviousity. Uh, obviously, I know isn't a word, but I don't care. Uh, and then, and then they, it was, it was clear and easy to see. It's like stealing someone's handbag out of their hand in the high street. That's not clever if you get away with it, is it? It's just, um, it's just blatant. Um, Crazy decision, and um, Alan. I think you wanted to quickly have a word on that before we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just I was thinking back to um, McAllister's uh, goal that was disallowed. Did did Moreto actually touch the ball? That no, it was deemed to be offside. Exactly. Yeah. No, he didn't. Yeah. So. Yeah, and Peter. Just to say, I think it was disgusting the way United ran up to the linesman straight away and surrounded him, and when he had his flag up, and with Fernandez especially, he'd <laughs> been like a spoiled brat. And can anyone honestly, in their right mind, imagine us having that goal set out at Old Trafford and it being <laughs> overturned? 
Yeah, well, we had enough decisions go against us there and we've managed to still win the game this season. But yeah, every single time we've played Man United, we've had the non-rub of the green, whatever that is. Uh, and it's same old, same old, isn't it? And Man United have a history of surrounding referees, putting pressure on that goes back to the very early days of Ferguson's era. And it's they've got to, they've been allowed to get away with it for so long because they're Man United. Which, which um, reminds me, the weekend was Solly March's first Premier League home goal since his injury time equaliser against Man U in that game. Yes, one, which was uh, where the referee played and made up imaginary time to then give him a penalty. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and um, that one. Anybody else got anything before we wrap up? Andy Braver, were you going to come in with something now? I don't know if you. Well, or not, I can't remember. No, on that on that basis, that we've had a bit of an epic, but there's been so much to talk about, and there's so much waxing lyrical about Liverpool. I just I've loved doing the Liverpool game that is, um, which was absolutely superb. Let's hope we can keep talking about such performances. Now, can it get any better? Possibly it could, who knows? So on that basis, I would love to say thank you to Andy Bass, to Andy Bravery, to Alan Dodd, and to my co-host Peter Marsh. Thank you all for listening, and until next time, stand or fall. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.